the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Back to the far side. Ooh. Shen goes in. Cuts off the Winnipeg forward. It's loose in front and scores. What a goal by Shifley, who caught it, pulled it away from Grice, and tucks it in. Pass over to Connor. He centers it. There's a shot. They score. Connor got it over to Gagne. Gagne was left all alone to the top of the far circle. And inside the far post, he gives the Jets a 2-0 lead. Jets bring it in, shoot and score. Barron was left alone in front of the net. And it's 3-0 Winnipeg, and it's starting to unravel late for the Blues. The Jets have won the game. They've shut out the Blues. First time in 109 games, the Blues have been shut out. It was bound to happen. It was bound to happen because Tanner continued to run his mouth and said the team is going to go 82-0. Math's never wrong, man. He just said they keep winning. There's no stopping. We pumped their tires, and then boom, the the worst-case scenario happened as the Blues lose their first game of the regular season. 4-0 4-0 last night to Winnipeg. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. And in for BK today, I'm excited for this one. He is the former NHL goaltender. He is the St. Louis native. He's one of my favorites. He is Mike McKenna in studio with us today. Mike, thanks so much, buddy. Dude, this is great, Alex. Uh, Tanner, I can't believe you don't believe, man. How how can you really think a team's not going to go 82-0 in the NHL? Yeah. That's unbelievable, the pessimism that you have. And you should be banished from well, being you know, in the city when, of St. Louis. When I uh, looked at the advanced nerdy numbers, because someone's got to do it with BK being out. They're expected goals analytics? allowed. That's oh, right. I'm talking oh about it's information, analytics. Mike. It's information. <laughs> they, should, they should be 0-4. That's right. I Whoa. said it. That's what the expected goals again says. Okay. Not so okay, well, much. Hey, you know what? They've had some pretty good goaltending. I can talk about that a little bit. Oh, but, we, uh, will, uh, we will definitely get to that yeah, because so. Thomas Grice's debut. But we got to Mike, with the defense because... We pumped their tires Saturday afternoon when they defeated and shut out the Edmonton Oilers, and that's that's a feat that should be excited about because you eliminated Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, two of the best in the game today. But then it's the tale of two defenses for this Blues team because last night against Winnipeg, it just 
it was the polar opposite of how they played against Edmonton. They were allowing a lot more opportunities, 43 shots on goal against that Winnipeg team. A lot of rushes up the ice, a lot of shots in the crease, and two of the four goals that were scored were because guys were left alone right in front of Thomas Grice. I was surprised by it because really through the first period last night, I thought, man, Blues are playing pretty well. This might end up being a repeat of the game against Edmonton. Grice had a great first period. And, you know, by the middle of the second, it just started to change. The tide started to go the other direction. And then a couple of penalties early in the third, and look what happens. Like, Winnipeg takes over. And, and you're right about what was distressing with the defense is that the Blues defense checked so hard with their feet against Edmonton. They were skating. They were moving. Nick Letting was Nick Letty was all over Connor McDavid. Yeah. I mean, like, you three or four clean breaks, McDavid, one-on-one. Letty pushes him wide, takes his stick, and then... You know, last night, it, it wasn't as much that the Blues, I felt, weren't skating through the first half of the game. They just mentally started to break down, you mm-hmm. know, missing coverage. And, hey, it's hard to defend in the NHL. And a lot of teams, when you play a man-to-man defense, even when you're in zone, like, you still have assignments, right? And how many times do you see Ryan O'Reilly miss an assignment in the slot? Like, that just doesn't happen. Like, he is literally one of the most responsible players in the game. So I, I think you look at it and you just go, listen, they were 3-0 and coming in. They had a letdown on the last game of a three-game road trip where they'd been in Western Canada. Come home, now you got a back-to-back to deal with. So I think it was one of those games, but the defense was definitely a little bit concerning, especially the number of shots that were given up in the slot area, Alex. That was a tough night for Thomas Grice, who performed really admirably in a really, really busy evening in his St. Louis Blues debut. Yeah, and specifically, you know, when you go deep pairing to deep pairing, like Letty and Pareko had a rough night. I think they were on the ice for two goals against, yeah. but their pairing has actually been one of their best on this Blues team all season long. The one that the one that stung for me was Tory Krug and Justin Falka. They were a combined minus four in that game. Mm-hmm. Tory Krug a minus three. But Mama said there's going to be days like those, right? Like you're going to run into circumstances this way. And even more, if we're going to talk about the defense struggling, was also the back checking. There were a couple of assignments that were missed by the Blues. And Tanner brought this up to me uh, at the end of that game last night. Look at the hit total. 39 hits for Winnipeg, 19 hits for St. Louis. So, Mike, you mentioned them mentally checking out. That kind of signifies it because when the Blues are getting out hit by that much, that tells you one side's got the more physical presence and the Blues are rarely that team. Yeah, and that team in Winnipeg can play like that. You know, when yeah. they're when when the Jets decide that they want to play physical, which last year they just didn't decide enough. That's a team that was stuck in third gear for an entire season. There'd be spurts that would go. You know, last night looked a little bit closer to what the Jets should be. But the Blues win by skating and playing hard. And by checking. And, and, you know, it's not that you have to go out and crush a team 40 to 10 in hits. To me, that means you're going to be chasing the game. But you have to be at least within the paradigm, I think. Not not 20 hits behind, right? You know what I mean? Like, I I think you want to be in the same ballpark. And, 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 you know, you look up and down the Blues lineup and... was it because they are missing players? No, I don't think it's because they are missing players. Bushnevich plays that style most often, but I just think it wasn't there for the Blues mentally. Like I said, like you're at the backside of this road trip. You're sitting in Winnipeg after you've been in Edmonton, and you just want to grind. Like you literally, you're walking into that arena in Winnipeg going, all right, boys, we got to grind here. We just got to get through this. We're going home, home in four hours. We're going to be on that bird. Yep. It's a quicker flight than people realize <laughs> as long as the plane doesn't freeze to the tarmac, which can happen in Winnipeg. And uh, that third period was just ugly, man. I, I At one point, Alex, I tweeted, somebody help Thomas Christ. Yeah. 
The well, only help is the post. <laughs> and he got a lot of that help in the third period. And here's Ryan O'Reilly after the game because Thomas Grice, uh, he set a Blues record with most saves by a goaltender making his debut with the St. Louis Blues. Here's O'Reilly. Oh, he played fantastic tonight. Yeah, he did. You know, I could have been a lot worse that score tonight. And he made some key saves at key times that, um, yeah, you know, it's it's disappointing because first one you want to, we'd have liked to have a better effort from him and, and make it, you know, make it easier for him. But, you know, he made some great saves tonight. He played well. And, yeah, we know we have to, you know, we know we're a lot better team than that. And, yeah, you know, they still played us in a lot of areas tonight. He stopped 39 of 42 shots, including 10 of the 12 high danger shots that he saw from the Winnipeg Jets. And that was the left out to dry game for their goaltender. But here's the thing, Mike. There have been so many people that came into this season that said, oh, how are the Blues going to survive if Bennington doesn't play well? Mm -hmm. Thomas Grice is the backup, and he's not Ville Husso. I never once wavered because the Blues have always found that recipe to go out there and recognize the the best options in terms of goaltenders who can be the backups. Thomas Grice was everything you hoped a backup goaltender would be last night. Yeah, with the exception of when they went after Chad Johnson. Uh, poor yeah, Johnny. That, that was a, but hey, it led that to didn't a, pan out. It led but, to Jordan Bennington in a Stanley Cup. So. Yes, it did. So uh, maybe that was all according to plan. But here's the thing. like I think you've got to look at career expectations and totals when you're starting to factor in goaltending. Yeah. And, you know, for the amazing job that Billy Huso did last year could have been counted on for that to happen again this year. Yeah, I think it could have. And I think everybody would love to have kept around a 27 year old goaltender. Who's going to be entering the prime of his career. But you also had Jordan Bennington under the age of 30. Who's in that same boat with a big contract. <laughs> so uh, it had to work with Bennington. But when you look around the league at goaltenders that have performed over the last decade, even to me, Thomas Grice is exactly the type of goaltender you wanted to get. D- Detroit was terrible last year defensively. Yeah. Like, I mean horrible. If you don't believe him, ask Nick Letty. Yes. So if you want to look at Grice's numbers last year, like, have at it, Haas. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but I think you look at his 913 career save percentage and the fact that he's routinely played between 30, 40 games and given quality minutes, he can thrive in that role. I'm not surprised. He's not the most technical goalie. You're going to see him chase the play at times, but he reads the play well. He's a great skater. And I thought that in the offseason when the Blues signed him, I went, that's a smart signing. I think that I would feel comfortable if I was Doug Armstrong bringing in Grice, especially with his veteran factor. Am I off, Mike? Because you know goaltending tandems and how a team goes about it. Am I off wondering why Craig Berube went with Thomas Grice? Because I know he sat there for probably about two weeks since the previous game he played, which was preseason, and you want to get him action. But it just is odd considering that you got this back-to-back where you're going to play, I would imagine, Bennington tomorrow against Oilers and then Grice against the Nashville Predators. But Bennington was coming off of a shutout, and you got Grice playing against two Central Division opponents. It just seems weird to me. Not to me as a goalie. Yeah, that's I why I was this curious. makes a lot of sense. Um, and the reason being is that what you just said, though, Grice hadn't played in the two weeks since preseason. I mean, I was at that game, and it feels like forever ago. Yeah. Okay? Um, you need to play games. And whether you're a number two or number one, because I just can't stand saying starter backup because everybody plays in this league. Right. So it's semantics. That's on me. That's the ex-goalie being <laughs> defensive and uh, just trying to help out the goalie union. But, uh, like, he needed to play, and you look at this game against Winnipeg where – it is. A, I think Craig Ruby probably circled this one as going, oh, man, this might be a trap game for us. Probably. And guess what? It was. You know, his team wasn't quite there. They're, I think the Blues are going to get one free pass like that for the year. Yeah. But, you know, you look at the back-to-back coming up, and that's a great point here, Alex, is that you fully expect Bennington to go against Edmonton. Shut him out last game. 
first game of the series at home. You want him in that game. Mm-hmm. And you know Grice is going to go in the next one. So do you want him to sit even longer without getting in? He's probably going to play 30 games this year. Like, it's unrealistic for me to think that Bennington's going to play 60. I yeah. don't think it's the right workload in the first place. And I also think that you have to factor in that people do miss games throughout the year. So I thought the timing of it was good for Grice. And I thought that he wasn't going to shrink in that moment because he's he's a veteran. He's done it forever. This wasn't a, a game where he looked at it and went, oh, man, I'm nervous to do this one. He's not like Felix Sandstrom in Philadelphia on the backside of a back-to-back, and John Tortorella throws him in there and says, "Here you go, kid, have at it." And he gets shell, he loses, you know, yet another game. So um, I think it made a lot of sense, and it's just kind of a sign of things to come that I think Grice is going to play maybe a little bit more than people would have expected this year. Well, we'll see these guys back in action Wednesday tomorrow night against the Oilers. Seven o'clock puck drop, pregame starting at six o'clock. They'll be back on the ice later on this afternoon for a uh, practice. So we'll get you an update possibly on Pavel Buchnevich and. Brandon Saad. Mike McKenna, Tanner Hendricks, and Alex Ferrario with you. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got NFL quick hitters. But coming up next, the defense struggled last night, but so did the offense. They were shut out for the first time since March 25th of 2021. And you always go to one line that you're wondering, when is it going to click? We'll discuss that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think we've had some good looks and you know obviously we're not putting the puck in the net like we'd like to but um you know at times we're doing some things that that phil tonight i you know i was kind of shooting the puck a bit more which you know i I don't think i should be doing i think i gotta kind of hold on to it and build a heavier game and and kind of just kind of play below that goal line a bit more kind of throwing the puck in the net trying to look for a balance it's kind of you know it might work the odd time but you know i gotta be able to build it with my line mates to get the puck on his tape a bit more so it's you know, I feel bad. I, I think I, you know, I've got a lot better for him, and I think that we should be able to create more and, and start producing more. That was the captain, Ryan O'Reilly, after last night's 4 nothing loss to the Winnipeg Jets alongside Mike McKenna and Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. Mike, this is, the, this is the line that I think Blues fans are talking most about four games into the season because throughout the start of this year, they have combined for one point, and it was a Jordan Cairo goal against the Seattle Kraken, which I believe was following a power play opportunity, so it wasn't really his line on the ice. But all three of those guys, and again, people love plus minus, people hate plus minus, however you want to go about it. They're a minus nine combined between O'Reilly, Saad, and Cairo. And I understand that Saad was not playing last night, but here's the thing. I expected a little bit of a grace period to start this season off for those three because they have not played together that much prior to this season you lose Perron who O'Reilly knows how he's going to play his game and now you've got to adjust to a Jordan Cairo who plays the polar opposite of David Perron but people are frustrated because they're not scoring but what gets me Mike is they're they're creating offense because according to moneypuck.com at five on five their expected goals per 60 minutes is the best of any line on this team. They're averaging around 2.85 per game. So they're creating the chances. They're just not finishing, which just tells me it's just puck luck right now for them. There's a little bit to it, but you also have to read into kind of what O'Reilly was saying in his post-game presser there about, hey, I, I think I need to not just throw pucks at the net. 
I need to hang on to it a little bit more. We need to be behind the goal line, which he's so strong with. I think really all he's trying to say there is that they need to possess the puck a little bit because in my eyes, like Jordan Cairo is somebody that he's not your typical puck on and off the stick score like a David Perron mm-hmm. is, right? Like you, you just let Perron get the puck. Give him, give him the puck and put your hands in the air. Right. You know what I mean? And like, whereas Cairo is really someone that excels for me with the puck on his blade driving towards the net. Uh, and, and that's where like I think – if O'Reilly can give him an extra second or two to make that space to get his feet going, it helps. And so, you know, you're trying to read off your alignments and make that happen. And Cairo and O'Reilly have played together prior. I mean, not for extended periods. Um, but the, it, it is concerning to me when I see, like I said, like last night O'Reilly misses a, a an assignment in front. And my bellwether for the Blues, especially in the playoffs last year, was... I would take Ryan O'Reilly against who I thought was a good matchup on the other club and compare their plus minus after games. Okay. And when I looked at the Minnesota wild, it was Joel Erickson. Yeah. When I looked at the Colorado avalanche, it was Nazem Kadri. and man, you could almost predict the game to a T, whichever guy had the better plus minus. Mm-hmm. And so right now, like, I don't think that line's been bad. I think they've at times have been spotty defensively. And just frankly, that's, kind of who Jordan Cairo is at this stage of maturation in his career. There's still moments where he's going to make mistakes or get too aggressive or just frankly lose touch. Yeah. I I made this comp last night and I just told you in the hallway before we started the show, I was watching Phil Kessel's uh, game with Vegas last night where he was tying the Ironman record uh, with Keith Yandel at 969, I believe. But Phil Kessel has always been known as the guy that's not going to play defense going to be lethal offensively and he's going to go into the boards and fight for the puck occasionally but he's not going to be the guy that you're sitting there going oh man look at that defensive play is Jordan Cairo towing that line of Phil Kessel or do you think he's a different player no I I think there's a real desire by Jordan Cairo to be a 200 foot player I really truly believe that because you see it at moments it's just it's funneling that process right if you've just been a scorer if you've been able to skate everywhere you've you wanted on the ice it's a real maturation process to a game, mm-hmm. you know? And I think like you know, you talk about Phil Kessel, he could kind of do whatever he wanted for a lot of years because once he got out of Toronto and when he went to Pittsburgh, especially man, the eyes were off of him, right? Yeah. It was two Stanley cups sell you. So yeah, it's it, it, all eyes are on Crosby and Malkin mm-hmm. and you know, he could kind of take a back seat and the defensive game wasn't as scrutinized and he was used in the right places. Well, Cairo's not going to be, used in the right places, dude. He's going to skate top-line minutes. And the eyes are always going to be on him. Yes, and that's where, like, if I'm Craig Berube, I want him with Ryan O'Reilly because I want him to understand both sides of the puck that make a lot of sense. And when you work hard to get the puck back, that's when you're going to have your most success going the other direction to the front of the net. So, um, you know, I didn't didn't mind Shen on that line last night. Saad, to me, is a good fit, but... You know, is the offense dead in the water? No, they're still generating. It's just that I think if they, if that line in general can defend a little bit harder and smarter, smarter is a key word, they're going to have even more chances going towards the other end. And, you know, it's, it's going to happen. It's still four games. <laughs> I know. Right. So yep. I don't see Craig Berube blowing this up just yet. I think you're going to see six, 10 games before he may have to, to kind of reevaluate what he has done well, so far. And mind you that there's been 13 days off in between the four games played. So now you're starting to get into the stretch where there's just consistent hockey, which benefits the chemistry. The other line, Mike, that Tanner and I were talking about last night is the fourth line. And the first two games, 
I was glowing about this fourth line because it was so good that Craig Berube looked at it and said, every time we score, we're putting that fourth line on the ice. That's what he did with Sundquist, Barbashev, and Steen when they won the cup because they knew they were going to keep the energy up and keep the tone set for the Blues after they scored the goal to not allow that moment where the other team gets a little bit of uh, fire underneath them. Walker Achari and Toropchenko last night, nine minutes and three seconds time on ice. Uh, the scoring chances four were set at five. The scoring chances allowed were set at 11. Are, are we seeing the best of this fourth line right now, Mike, or do you feel like there's still some work to be had in a line that Craig Brewey does rely heavily on? You know, when they started the game last night against Winnipeg, or not started, but the first period of the game, I, I thought that they were very good in the first. You know, I thought that there was extended time where, like, especially Walker, can he can he's a one-man army sometimes, man. Like, I love watching his tenacity oh, yeah. on the puck, and, and Torpchenko, when he's really using his full body, like, that's that's a key to it. I, I do think, though, as the game went on, that this went the wrong direction, and and. The part about a fourth line is that you can't just stare at chances for and against. You do have to look at what they're doing in terms of gaining your team, whether it's momentum or just wearing down the other team, just being difficult to play against. Mm-hmm. And and that's the part that as the game went on, when they're chasing the puck, they can't do that job. Yeah. You know, and, and even from a personal perspective, like uh, I covered the Vegas Golden Knights for two years on their broadcast team after I finished my playing career, and that fourth line was Will Carrier, Ryan Reeves, and Tomas Nosek. They were probably, them and the Islanders and the Blues at the time were the three best fourth lines in the National Hockey League. Correct. And that line wasn't piles of skill. Will Carrier, I mean, I not much scoring touch. Ryan Reeves, Blues fans are very familiar with yep. what he can do. Nosek's a really versatile, underrated player. But that team could grind. And it wasn't just big hits. They'd get the puck deep. They, they'd hold possession. They would just wear down their opponents and make it tough to play against. That's the goal of your fourth line. You, now, you don't want to give up. You don't, get, you don't want to get tripled up on chances against. Yeah. You don't. But if that fourth line can be, again, within the ballpark on chances, and, and they can at least drive some possession and make life difficult, that's what you're looking for. So I, I think it's a line that's going to have a little bit of room for growth. I wonder what it's going to look like and if it'll change at all. When Buchnevich saw well, it come back, you know, is there going to be tweaking there? And it, that's where I'm at with this, Mike. And tell me if 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 you're on the same wavelength as I am, because. Saad, Shen, whoever you want on the wing with O'Reilly, I pr- I personally think Shen is the better option there. And then if Logan Brown plays the way that he played in the preseason, a third line of Brown neighbors and Brandon Saad, I think I would have an Ivan Barbashev on the fourth line. Yeah. Not saying that he's a fourth line player, but saying he does exactly what you just said your fourth line needs to do. Puck possession, wear down the opposition. And it's not that Nathan Walker doesn't do that. It's just, I, I think I want a little bit more veteran presence on that fourth line rather than have two of the younger players playing with Nolachari. Yeah, you know, I, I, I like Walker in the lineup, man, straight up. I think I'd keep him there, but I do think that when you're looking at Barbashev, like he's a bowling ball on the ice sometimes when you want. Look what the hit that he laid on Sam Girard in the playoffs yep. last year. I mean, I felt bad for Girard, like broken sternum. And, and that, that, like, was a, that was a momentum-changing hit, and I know obviously what led later in that game the life was... Out of the, like the, yeah. uh, the Colorado bench just... Of course, Kadri then goes after Bennington a little yeah. bit later in that game. But still, like if it, before that Bennington situation happened, the Blues had all the momentum because mm-hmm. they sucked the life out of Colorado. Yeah. So I, I think Barbashev, to me, could fit that role. And realistically, you it, it's not 
it's about the team, man. It's where you fit in the lineup, you know? Yeah. And there's going to be injuries throughout the year, and people are going to move around. And if that's where he's best served, I don't mind that. I don't see Jake Neighbors playing fourth line. Minutes, I don't either. So that's not going to happen Nor do for I me. see Logan Brown playing down there. That doesn't fit Logan Brown either. And and I think that's going to be the challenge for Logan is to really plant himself in this lineup. Mm-hmm. You know, you've when you play a specific role – as a puck distributor, as a big rangy body, someone that can drive offense, like it's got to be in those top three lines in the NHL to be successful. And like I saw, I think we saw spurts last night on the power play where Brown was real nice with yeah. the puck. And, he had and a couple of plays in the first period that were nearly goals. Absolutely. He's crafty as can be. I mean, I remember skating with him and I couldn't stop him when he was 19 <laughs> years old. Um, but but I think that that's, that's a question mark for me is where does Brown fit? Can he grab that third line? You know, and does Barbashev stay up with Tarasenko, which – I mean, remember last year, though, you had Bushnevich, Tarasenko, and and uh, and Barbashev going wild out there, too. So I'm I'm curious to see, because that fourth line is, I think it's been good for the most yeah. part. I really do, but I wonder if there's tweaking that'll take place. Well, could be some tweaking with the news that just broke. According to the Blues, um, Pavel Bushnevich is placed on injured reserve. Mm. He and Brandon Saad are not skating, according to Lou Korak. So just Pavel Bushnevich on injured reserve, which if you don't know how that works, essentially uh, that player is going to have to miss seven days from today when he's Correct. placed on injured reserve. unless is, they make it's it. not long-term injured reserve, yes. which is a 30-day minimum. So, so nobody panic here and think, oh my God, he's out for a long t- period of time. <laughs> no, this is probably that rest that Don't Doug Armstrong... Don't throw his jersey on the ice. Oh yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later. <laughs> uh, but the reason I mentioned that you could be some seeing some changes is they also signed Tyler Pitlick to a one-year, one-way contract mm. for $750,000. And remember, Pitlick was impressive in camp as the player tryout. Um, didn't make the team because he dealt with a concussion, I believe. Uh, has been with the team on this road trip, so Tyler Pitlick signs a one-year, one-way contract uh, worth seven hundred fifty thousand, and Pavel Buchnevich is placed on injured reserve. We'll talk more about that as we move on. Coming up in fifteen minutes, we've got questions and answers, so you can send us questions on the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. But coming up next, NFL quick hitters after that riveting Monday Night Football game last night. We'll get into that and more next year on one hundred one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Seven eight zero is our Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up in our next segment. You've got questions for us. Send them over to us, and we will get to those in our next segment. Mike McKenna in for BK. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. And let's jump into some NFL quick hitters now because week seven officially in the books after last night's Chicago Bears victory over... Mac Jones slash Billy Zappi slash quarterback competition in New England? Question mark? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Wasn't he hurt again? Mac Jones? Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe, his confidence. Pride, maybe his pride was a little hurt after those. Uh, he Look, he didn't look great in that game. Billy Zappi didn't look great in that game. The New England Patriots just are the biggest anomaly in, in the NFL this season because their defense at times is great. And then in other games, they have absolutely zero offense. Defense is so good. Sometimes you trust them to win you a fantasy game on Monday night, and then they just let you down. <laughs> Don't even get me started with that. Mike, are you in fan? You do fantasy football? <laughs> no, I do fantasy hockey, but I only started doing that after I retired. Oh, yeah. I had a, I had a group of friends of mine that we'd all been employees of a certain goalie coach for years and years. And then they started this fantasy hockey league 
while I was still playing and they wanted to be part of it. Yeah. Well, we had to wait till I retired. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get an expansion franchise. I am now a co-manager of a team. Smart. And it's less frustrating. Yeah, but I, we, we've come in second and then second in the regular season two years straight in my first attempt. So I'm, I'm really feeling the pressure this year in my third. <laughs> well, somebody who's feeling the pressure, two different quarterbacks, one on a underwhelming AFC West team in the Denver Broncos, Russell Wilson, although I guess he was injured, so how much pressure he could really have. And then Matt Ryan with the Colts, who now is injured. And benched. And benched. Because both situations, situations, (laughs) it was so bad that he was injured, and Matt was like, no, 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 I'm hurt. I can't play. Yeah, but you would have been benched if you weren't hurt. Who's been the bigger disappointment this season? Denver's Russell Wilson or Matt Ryan with the Colts? I, I immediately lean Matt Ryan because he got benched. Uh, he was supposed to be brought in. Look, as much as excitement there was around Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan was brought in and supposed to be the answer at quarterback of a team that had been churning through quarterbacks just like Denver was. But he was supposed to make Indy like legitimate contenders in that AFC. I think Denver was still going to be pretty good even if they didn't get Russ and they went and got someone like a Jacoby Brissett. But Matt Ryan was brought in. He's got all the weapons he needs. He's got Michael Pittman. He's got Jonathan Taylor. And they just have done nothing. When I look at Denver, they don't have a running game, really. I know Melvin Gordon's been there. They lost their starting running back to injury. But I I think Matt Ryan's been the bigger disappointment because at least Russ hasn't been benched yet. But, I mean, he's on the verge. But Matt Ryan has been benched. I think he's been the bigger disappointment so far this year. That's a bad feeling, man. Like, you think about being a goaltender from my own perspective, and it's just like if I get brought in by a team and I'm supposed to be the guy and in the early going, I'm already on the pine with a backup towel around my neck. This is not going I was well. Say, I don't and even know least... how you mentally get out of that. <laughs> but at least in hockey, you have guaranteed contracts. That's you know? true. And you, and it's like an 82 game schedule. So, you know, it's like, yeah, but they're going to have to use me at some point yeah. rather than a 17, 18 game schedule. And it's like, I might not play again well, this season. Exactly. Like you think about how short your time frame is. It feels like it's a long season in football, but man, it's just week well, to week. So much pressure on that game. And absolutely. you got to perform, you know, and like we, we talk about it in hockey that, oh, you get the chance to play your way out of a funk. Yeah. You don't get that in football. No. At all. And there's, there's similar positions, man. Goalie, quarterback, pitcher, you take your, any of those three, you're, you're the, you're the focal point. Yep. You're, you're the, the guy that they go to the every zero. time. doesn't matter how good or bad the Packers are. It's all Aaron Rodgers, no matter what. Right. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? So despite the fact that nobody on his team can catch a football. <laughs> well, they handed out Vaseline before the game. And, you know, it's all over their hands. And now they just, look what happens. Uh, the Philadelphia treatment where you put it on light poles. You just put it on their hands to see what happens. But my bigger, my bigger disappointment has to be Russell Wilson. And I understand Tanner, where you're coming from with Matt Ryan, but Everyone said that the Denver Broncos, because of Russell Wilson, was going to be one of the top teams in the AFC West. And this team doesn't look like they're going to hit five wins on the season. And the fact that he's now injured, maybe that is the reason why he has not played well. But, like, that has just been a massive disappointment this season. And I don't blame it all on Russell Wilson. I've been the guy that says all year, Nathaniel Hackett is just awful. But I still feel like it's more of a disappointment if you're a Denver Broncos fan because you got Russell Wilson and you paid a hefty price for him. Matt Ryan, you got for one year. I was going to say, my my thing with Russ is, yes, I agree that he's been bad. But also the coaching's been bad. You look at the contract that they gave Russ, that was just stupid management from, from a Broncos perspective. When I look at the Matt Ryan one, maybe it is on Frank Reich, but I actually think Frank Reich's a really good coach. So I just think that Matt Ryan, for whatever reason, has just not gelled well into that offense. 
I don't know if it's preparation. I don't know if it's just he just doesn't have it anymore. Like, he has fallen off so much of a cliff. And, look, he started to decline in Atlanta. I thought that was the talent around him. But he started to decline, and it almost looks kind of like what Peyton Manning did, where it was like, oh, Peyton Manning's been really good. And then all of a sudden it was just, boom, snap of the finger, and Peyton Manning was done. And that's what it looks like has occurred with Matt Ryan. A couple more to hit on with our NFL quick hitters, and then we'll get to questions and answers. Uh, sticking with the Broncos, this just came out, rumor, uh, apparently Jerry Judy has been connected with the New York Giants by trade deadline time. Uh, Giants, of course, uh, sitting top the NFC East right there underneath the Philadelphia Eagles right there with the Cowboys. Does that, if they were able to pull off that move and get Jerry Judy from Denver, does that make your opinion of the Giants change in terms of being a contender? I know Mike just said that we shouldn't put stuff on the quarterback, but I'm going to put it on Daniel Jones and <laughs> See, say no. Daniel Jones looks fine, <laughs> You're though. You're the hero yeah. zero, man. Everything's I, on your shoulders. I don't trust that quarterback. You're so. the guy that blames the goaltender when it was the defense's fault, weren't you? I had yeah. my guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, just just make a save. <laughs> the puck was right there in front of you. Can we just appreciate the kickers in football, please? Amen to that. I, uh, I don't think it makes them um, legit contenders. I think it makes them better, but... Again, it just comes down to they give me so much Tennessee Titans vibes of last year where it's like, man, that record looks really good, but for whatever reason, I'm just not bought in on that team. You and don't it, have the eye test on this yeah, one, do you? Yeah, it's and just I, not in your wheelhouse. No, and the I, worst. I just don't know if it's just looking at the guys that are in terms of like when you look at them on talent based on what you've seen in years past, like Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley's been really good now that he's healthy, uh, that offensive line, the defense, but I would not buy into them being a contender. They could be in the Super Bowl, and I will still say they're not a contender. <laughs> That's how much I'm not bought in on this football team. Until the moment that trophy's handed out. Even then, and then I won't believe it. Like, no, it was a fluke. They shouldn't have been handed that trophy. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I, I can never consider them a contender because they're just not at that point yet. If you make the trade, I'm going to sit there and say, you know what, maybe they can make a push to be one of the top wildcard teams because I don't think they're catching the Philadelphia Eagles for how good they are. Their biggest problem is the wide receiver, despite you believing that their quarterback is the issue. Their defense plays well, and they got the right coach in Brian Dable. It's just a matter of getting your quarterback and your offense a little bit more consistent weapons, and maybe that uh, does come out to be Jerry Judy. And the other thing, too, is... I don't. I'm not sure Jerry Judy's act like he would be definitely an upgrade over the wide receivers they have. I don't think he's a massive difference maker though. <laughs> well, he is for the Giants considering they have nobody else. That's fair, but he's not like so. Like the reason why we look at the Giants and say we're not all in on them is because they've got good pieces, but they don't have great pieces. Yeah, I'm not sure he's a great piece. And we just talked about Russell Wilson and how I said it's part on the coaching, it's part on Russ, part on management. Also part on Jerry Judy. I mean, he gets plenty of targets. 11, uh, last week was a really good week for him. Previous week, seven targets, only three catches. Previous week, eight targets, three catches. Six targets, two catches. Three targets, one catch. Like, I'm not sure Judy's a piece that really puts a team over the top. I think he's a good piece, but he's not a great piece. Yep. So could you take a team like the Giants that are 6-1? and one, Like, What's the threshold for you believing in a team? Like, Is it going to take 13 wins, 14? Like, No, Tanner's going to sit there and say, ah, oh, this team's awful. <laughs> they can run the table. I mean, to be fair, I didn't think the Dodgers, who had 106 wins, were a very good team. And look at that. They got bounced in the playoffs. It yeah. was a fluke, I, Tanner. I, I just think it comes down to, I agree, when you look at the numbers and look at the record, taking that consideration, then I think it also comes down to the eye test. And I get it that they're playing well, but that offense doesn't look like anything that's going to lead you to a playoff win. Like, if the game came down to it, Daniel Jones is not a guy that I see with the eye test and go, he could lead me on a game-winning drive. Do you know what we've proven here? 
that we are truly in the show me state because yeah. we're so pessimistic. Oh yeah, it's always the eye I test. Believe, I didn't believe the Colorado Avalanche could win a Stanley Cup last year. Well, they technically didn't. They cheated to win that Stanley Cup by injuring Jordan Bennington <laughs> because the Blues would have been going to the Stanley Cup final despite uh, uh, Nazem Kadri. Were their best opponent all last year in the playoffs. Absolutely. I will die on that hill that the Blues win the Stanley Cup last season, if not for Nazem Kadri and uh, that dirty hit, plain and simple. Mike McKenna, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Uh, Coming up 15 minutes, we got Jeremy Rutherford, who uh, was delayed getting back from Winnipeg. So uh, we'll figure out if he's at an airport somewhere or if he's on a plane or if he's back in St. Louis. But he's going to join us in 15 minutes. Uh, Questions and answers coming your way next. 65780, you can send us questions. We'll discuss them next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Drill Air Comfort Service text line 65780. You send us questions. We'll give you answers here on BK and Ferrario. No BK today. No BK for the rest of the week. We got Mike McKenna, former NHL goaltender, in studio with us. And Mike, let's start with this. The first question coming from the 314. Fellas, with the news of Pavel Buchnevich headed to the IR and Tyler Pitlick signing, what type of player do the Blues have in Tyler Pitlick? Well, you get somebody that can skate and can grind, and it's got a little bit of skill. You know, when you look at Pitlick's career offense, it may not be overwhelming, um, but we were teammates with the Dallas Stars a few years ago, and I really admired his game. He was somebody that I just straight up trusted on the ice, you know, and he's got a lot of experience. You're looking at 300 plus NHL games here. Um, his best year, guess what, was the year that I played with him. So I no got coincidence, to see, right? Well, you know, I I gave him a great target in practice. I played <laughs> a grand total of five and a half periods that season for the Dallas Stars. But um, but that was his high watermark. He scored 14 goals that year. And, and it's since then, he's kind of been in a limited role. And I thought he was going to be a really good fit in Calgary last season. And for whatever reason, he didn't really catch fire under Daryl Sutter's system and ended up getting cast off to the Montreal Canadiens when they brought in Tyler Toffoli just ahead of the trade deadline. So uh, he can skate. He's somebody who can absolutely play fourth-line minutes, and I think that's probably where he fits best. And when you look at the Blues and even the conversations we were just having about the fourth line and the depth, I think he's somebody that Craig Berube knows that he can trust. And that's pretty important. He can play fast. He can hit. Um, And right now, I think the biggest thing is just getting them healthy and being able to get them back in the lineup. Yeah. Well, and I think I forgot. I think he played three, maybe I think he played three games in the preseason before that injury. Yeah. yeah. He played a lot. It was the first few where, I mean, he was a standout. I remember specifically that Columbus blue jackets game at home where Nathan Walker got into the fight after the goal was scored. That was Tyler Pitlick going to the front of the net and look, just looking at his stats, just big picture on a uh, hockey reference. Uh, that year that you were talking about, Mike, so the best year of Tyler Pitlick, which he was 26 years old, but he had 57 blocked shots and 122 hits. Last season combined between Toronto and Calgary, 26 blocked shots. He'll kill penalties. And 70 hits, yeah. And yeah. he was averaging 10.56 minutes of ice time. So if you're getting around that and you're getting a guy who's going to be blocking shots and hitting, I think it's a good complimentary piece to Tyler or to uh, Noah Chari if you're putting him on that fourth line moving forward. Fourth line, yeah. And, and again, PK, I mean, we saw Nathan Walker even out on the PK level. 
last night too. And yeah. that's as hard as he works. You know, that's it, this is just another option, I think, for Craig Berube. And at the price point, when you're going league minimum, if you've got the roster space to be able to do so, that's no problem. Just one thing on Pitlick has really been injuries that have crushed his career in a lot of times. So if he can stay healthy and available, maybe he is going to be in a support role this year. But again, that price tag for a player that you trust is really important. Yeah, $750,000, one-year, one-way contract for Tyler Pitlick uh, with the Blues. From the 314, fellas, a donut from yesterday's game, one point, one empty netter against Edmonton. We know the defense isn't going to be great, but are you all concerned with the offense or lack of, especially with offense supposedly being the strength of this team this season? Uh, not yet. I mean, it's early going, and I, I think that they've shown that they can score when they need to. That's the biggest thing. So um, I, I think you've got to give six, eight games before you're going to look at the Blues and say, wow, there's a scoring problem here. I mean, do they miss Perron? Do they miss PP like that? Yeah, I think so. But, you know, there's there's still some time to get this going and really to hammer out the lines. Like, you still are hoping to see Kyrou and O'Reilly really take off. So um, that part's good. I've been happy, especially with the defense. I mean, I think Falk, Falk, especially on the offensive side, has been great this year. So, you know, maybe if Crew gets going a little bit and a little more chipped in from the top 2D, um, the Blues will be looking better that way as well. I was going to say, Falk plays like a fourth forward. That, yeah. That's what he looks like. Always okay with up that. in the rush. Oh, it's Always unbelievable. Uh, but I... I'm not worried either. I, I think the biggest one that it just comes down to is I think you're just waiting for that Kyron O'Reilly line to completely click, and when it does, I think there won't be any concerns. I, When you look at their advanced numbers, they've been pretty good. Yeah. They've just been kind of clunky here in the beginning, and I think that'll change. And if that changes, then I think you're talking about a team that's going to be really good 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think I want to I, – I saw one come across the text you here asking yep. about uh, Buchnevich and, you know – what is his, what is he exactly hurt? Well, we don't know because we know just as much as everybody else that it's yeah. a lower body injury. Look, but hockey is like secret service. They're not going to tell you anything. But I can't stand that. I actually oh, think, the same way. I actually think especially when it comes to concussions and other things that it's an absolute disservice to the player. Now, no matter what, the players want to protect themselves and not have it out there and not be targeted, but I think open transparency for the players and their injuries is a better way to go because you know what? If fans don't know what the player has, they start to come up with their own theories, mm-hmm. man. And that's bad for players. Yeah, well, and the other thing with that, too, is... And I I understand the logic behind it because you don't want players targeting the other side of the... You know, if they know what the injury oh, yeah, is. This guy's got a hurt ankle. Yeah, it's then like you're going after asshole. it. Oh, look at him. Look at... There he goes. He's <laughs> going there. So Hulk Hogan's going after the macho man's ankle. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, do we also believe that there's that many dirty players in the no. game still that do that? Because I just don't believe that. I don't either. Right? I, I just like to see it open and transparent. And there's another angle to this. If they really want to embrace betting... Exactly. You need to know. And I, and that's what that's. I don't know if that was technically my full route into that, but look at the NFL. I mean, they give off what those guys are doing. They they have an injury report every single day. Yeah. Sones was dealing with knee. Sones was dealing with this. And sure, I think some NFL players do target that. But if NFL players are willing to release that, then I don't think it's that big of a worry for the NHL guys. Uh, final one, and Jeremy Rutherford's going to switch to 12-15, uh, dealing with a little bit of flight issues. So we're going to have JR join us at 12-15. Uh, we'll get into a Cardinals topic coming up next, but this kind of ties into it. Would you trade Lars Newtbar, Tommy Edmond, and Zach Thompson to Toronto for Alejandro Kirk? No way in hell. Whoa! <laughs> Even through H E double hockey sticks in there, man. I, I think that's, that's too a much. Strong opinion. <laughs> I think that's too much for Kirk. I, I think one of those Toronto guys might have some interest that the Cardinals may look, look for them. I I remember what Goggles' name Danny is. Danny Jansen, man. That's Come right. on. Sorry. I really like their prospect, and I remember who it was that we had on, but they mentioned him as well. Might have been Keith Costas, uh, but I, I I think that's too much. When you take a look at that trade package. 
and you've given up away a guy. You tilt a guy like Edmund Zach Thompson, who's going to be a really good pitcher. And then who was the other piece you said in that deal? Uh, Edmund Zach Thompson and Lars Newbar. Yeah, I, I think you're giving up too much. You're giving away two starting Alejandro players off Kirk. your roster this season for one guy who could be your starting yeah, catcher. I think it's too much. That's why I've stuck to the same thing that I've said over and over, and the option is Wilson Contreras. Tucker Barnhart? No, oh. not Tucker Barnhart. We'll get into the catching options via free agency because I think it's Contreras and it's only Contreras. Tanner disagrees. We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think there's going to be this reflective nature that, you know, in the post Yachty era of the Cardinals, it's going to be really hard for Cardinals fans. And I don't know, maybe the brass at the Cardinals as well to kind of separate what we've become accustomed to over the last couple of decades. But the reality of the matter is you're not going to find another Yadier Molina. Even if you find someone in the mold of Yadier Molina, he's never going to be close to what Yadi was. So maybe as tough as it might be for the Cardinals, given the way they like to play and prioritize pitching and defense, Maybe Contreras is the one spot where you can kind of look. You know, we got a taste of Herrera. Catchers generally take longer to develop than other position players. Maybe that is the one spot where they look and say, hey, we got to grab some offense here while we can with a guy like Contreras. That was Keith Costas of MLB Network last week with us here on BK and Ferrario. And alongside Mike McKenna and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. Do the Cardinals need to go after Wilson Contreras? Should he be the number one target in free agency? I personally... I don't know if he should be my number one target because, as I've mentioned, I think the bat is the number one target, and I think there's better bats out there. But you do have to address the catching position. You've got to address three massive areas this offseason. Shortstop, catcher, and the outfield. And I think catcher and outfield are probably the two bigger areas that need answers. And when it comes to the catching position, it's Wilson Contreras and then everybody else, because there are not a lot of great names out there beyond Wilson Contreras. Tanner, don't you dare say Tucker Barnhart. All right, Martin Maldonado. That's not a good one either. <laughs> Ooh, he's a World Series going there with Houston. Yeah, that's fine, but I don't think Martin Maldonado is the reason why. Ben Fred of the Post-Dispatch, Ben Fredrickson, had this piece a couple of days ago talking about how the Cardinals need a catcher, and Contreras is a great fit. And this was a quote that stuck out to me. The Cardinals can afford Contreras and more. What they can afford is taking is talking themselves into a middle shelf catcher edition that leaves them with a bigger pool of players at the position who are not ready for the big stage. Everyone's rebuttal is, but you've got Andrew Kisner and Yvonne Herrera you can go to. Kisner was average for you. Kisner seems like the perfect backup catcher. Yvonne Herrera did not impress us so much so that when Yachty went back to Puerto Rico, they opted to trade for Austin Romine and make him the backup catcher to Andrew Kisner and send Herrera back down to Memphis. And that falls into the category that Ben Fred's talking about there. Like, rather than just go out there and sign somebody to be a 1B to a 1A of giving the opportunity to Kisner and Herrera, why not take that stress away and go get the best option out there in Wilson Contreras, who can hit, who can play defense. And yeah, he might not be great with pitching, but I'm not too concerned about that. I, So I understand where you're coming from. And as as this offseason is slowly but surely starting to build up until we really get into the hot stove season, 
I am starting to lean a little bit more favorably towards the Wilson Contreras side, and I'll, I'll explain that here in just a second. But to me, I think the Cardinals had such a big swing going from a guy that you trust in handling a pitching staff like Wilson Contreras. I'm not sure how much they truly trust Andrew Kisner to be that guy as well. And going from that to what you had in Yadier Molina that was such a defensive-minded catcher, handled a pitching staff well, just feels like such a big swing that the Cardinals won't be willing to take. And I honestly believe, based on the contract of what I think Wilson Contreras is going to get, and we talked a little bit about this uh, yesterday when we were doing the Would You Sign This Contract, I, I think the Cardinals are better off by spending money elsewhere and then finding a guy to kind of plug and play at that catch position that's more defensive minded. That's why I always bring up Tucker Barnhart. Martin Maldonado, sure, he didn't hit 200, but he had more home runs than what Kisner and Yachty had combined this past season. So he's got a little bit of pop, handles a pitching staff very well. And that's why I lean towards one of those guys. I mean, is serviceable really good enough for the Cardinals, though? I mean, you've got Yadier Molina as the catcher now for oh, no. what seems like my entire life, except for Tom Pagnozzi. <laughs> and don't forget the run that Todd Zeal had before him. Oh, Todd Zeal. Okay. Like, and I'm no baseball expert, but I'm looking at this from the outside in and seeing you've had Yadi there for all these years, an absolute rock, who did chip in offensively when he, when he could. Is serviceable good enough for the Cardinals at the catcher position? But see, that's why I think you got to get into the uncomfortable situation Mm -hmm. where it's, you know what, let's go away from the norm here. Because, again, I'm going to stick to this all offseason. You can complain about getting somebody and the pitching staff has to be better, but the offense is the problem and the reason they've been bounced from the playoffs for two consecutive seasons. And if you got a guy who last season in 113 games, look, it might not be sexy, but 243 batting average, 466 slug. He was on base 349 and then 28 points above league average in OPS plus. And the narrative around him not being good defensively and not being or not handling pitching staffs well, I I understand it and I'm not the analytical guru to sit there and say like, oh, he's better than that. But I do know that I've seen Wilson Contreras and he's got a, he's got a cannon behind home plate so he can throw guys out that try to steal on him. And it's not like the pitching staff has been awful with Wilson Contreras. I was just looking at this. The ERA plus has been 10th best or top 10 in the last four seasons with the Chicago Cubs. So from 2017 to 2021, their ERA plus has been in the top 10. So to me, he can't be that big of a liability with the pitching staff if this pitching staff is that good. I, I just think it comes down to, and maybe he would end up being able to adjust if he has a full like spring training, but I did find it very alarming that teams like the Houston Astros, who we're talking about, Martin Maldonado, very good catcher defensively, but, man, if you plug in Wilson Contreras' bat into that lineup, I mean, but I know they're going to the World Series already. It's probably even easier for but him it's with because, Wilson Contreras in that lineup. But to me, it, that w- the reason nobody's trading for him, like those teams that are trying to contend like a Houston Astros, because if he does struggle with pitching staffs, I'm not going to implement this catcher with a month and a half, two months to go in the season before the playoffs begin. I'd rather have a full spring training for him to implement himself with my pitching staff. So if you're unable to pick up the offense through a Contreras, through a catcher, are they going to be able to supplement that, whether it's free agency trade route within other positions? You're going to pay more. That's my right. con- That's my concern is if they go with the Contreras route is that – they did. They dedicate that money there, Where are and then these they dollars can't upgrade. Being allocated? Yeah, they can't. Gotcha. They can't add into a better. They can't improve the outfield as much as we're as we're hoping for them to do. They may end up going more of that 
uh, bottom of the barrel shopping like they did this previous offseason where it was they decided to allocate funds to pitching where they went with Steven Matz and they sided with, okay, let's get Corey Dickerson to be, it was a left-handed DH platoon, but also a fourth outfielder for $5 million. I think that you can improve the offense outside of the catcher position and remain better off defensively with a better uh, pitching management catcher in someone else than Wilson Contreras. You can go get a different, a better outfielder that's higher up on that free agent class. But you I, can I don't do, know if they're truly getting an actual shortstop. I've never been bought in on that. But but you could do both if you get away from the norm of not wanting to spend money. And we've talked about it. BT talked about it yesterday on the fast lane. Like you have an opportunity in front of you to spend forty, fifty million dollars this offseason with arbitration included. And we talked about it yesterday with Spot Track. If you could get four years, sixteen million dollars per year for Wilson Contreras. To me, that's a steal if you get a guy who's going to be hitting fifth or sixth for you in your lineup and be a consistent threat offensively, but then you still got $30 million to go allocate. If you want to go get your Brandon Nimmo or if you want to go get your Xander Bogarts, it might that might be the only moves you take, but I'm, I'm not concerned about pitching for this team or defense. I'm concerned where the offense is coming from. And I said this when we started this segment that I'm starting to lean more towards the Wilson Contreras route. And here's why the more I've thought about it. And I think Ben Fred has brought this up on the best podcast in baseball, the one with Derek Gould, where he mentions, now next year, I I seriously would have concerns about him catching a majority of the games and being that guy that's supposed to manage the pitching staff. But to his point, Ben Fred said by year two of the contract, there could be an automated ball strike zone. So you don't have to worry about his framing, which his framing is low. But then it still is the management of a uh, pitching staff. But it just depends on how much you truly trust Savon Herrera. If you actually believe Savon Herrera is going to be the eventual heir apparent to what Yadier Molina is, then Wilson Contreras can easily translate out of that catcher position and play majority of his games at that DH spot. The problem is I don't think the Cardinals are willing to invest in a player that is by the third or fourth year of this contract potentially going to be mostly an everyday DH because you've got a Von Herrera who's better off at the catcher position. That's why it's starting to lean towards it, but I still push back and say, I'm not sure they're willing to commit that far, and I think they still think Herrera's that guy, and I don't think they want to really block him. I think they figure, okay, let's see what Herrera's development is this year. Let's go get that stopgap guy and also with Kisner, and then we can allocate more money towards shortstop, outfield, wherever yeah. the bat may be that they're looking Maybe for. Maybe Contreras is still the stopgap. Maybe he fits that role. If it's a four-year span, like you say, even if you're moving into DH, like yeah. that gives Herrera every chance. Or maybe you kill two birds with one stone and you say, all right, we got a catcher. Maybe we see what Herrera's worth is on the trade market and we find the next guy coming up in our system when Contreras isn't the catcher anymore for you and Andrew Kisner still being the backup. But uh, again, I, I just the sentiment is bats to me and Wilson Contreras's bat falls into that category much like the Xander Bogarts that we've continued to talk about the Carlos Correa's that I know the morning shows talked about and Brandon Nimmo uh, who T-Bone continues to bring up along with BK Mike McKenna Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario coming up in 15 minutes Louis DeBrusque is an analyst for Sportsnet and color analyst for the Edmonton Oilers he saw the Blues on Saturday he's gonna see the Blues tomorrow night he's gonna join us in about 15 but coming up next Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic who was on this road trip talks Blues with us here on 101 ESPN we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Long 
Inside, former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario as we head to our Brown and Crouppen celebrity line now to talk with Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic who was on this road trip and uh, is trying to get back to St. Louis. JR, do you feel like John Candy and planes, trains, and automobiles right now? Hey, what are you trying to say there? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Sorry, I, no, I met Steve Martin. It's more like Home Alone. Yeah. Oh, He's okay. in yeah. Polka Polka, <laughs> real big in Sheboygan, you know? <laughs> One of my favorite places in the world, O'Hare Airport here. Go uh, eat at so, Frontera. Uh, yeah, well, Get a torta. Rick Bayless's restaurant there, JR. It's the best. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. We'll make it uh, We'll make it back home at some point, but uh, glad to be coming home after this blues road trip that was uh, pretty successful, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we've been talking about that, JR. Like, look, the, the fact that you had one dud on a three-game road trip where you went in an overtime, you shut out Edmonton, which was the one that I still stick to with this road trip. But people are going to go immediately to the defensive struggles against the Winnipeg Jets and the fact that the offense was lacking. And let's start with the offense, JR, because I thought Ryan O'Reilly had a great quote last night after the game to you when you asked about the struggles of he and Jordan Cairo finding their offense. And Mike and I discussed earlier, it's not like these guys aren't creating offense. It's just that they're not clicking, which just tells me it's just too soon to sit here and say that they're not having success. Yeah, and I agree, although uh, this is something I think I worried about a little bit uh, when they put the line together. You know, I think for other reasons, they've obviously wanted to keep uh, Thomas, Tarasenko, Buchnevich went healthy together, uh, and then you, you didn't have Logan Brown, so you kind of had to mix and match to make everybody comfortable with Jake Neighbors, rookie on that third line. So that leaves you with a line of Sato, Riley, and Cairo, and you know, I'm sure if you play together for a couple months, you'll find it, uh, but I just don't know that that's a line that you kind of head to the middle of the season and say, this is a line that we like. You know, it, it remains to be seen what kind of chemistry Cairo and O'Reilly could develop. We haven't seen it yet, but Craig Burby did say last night it's still too early. So we'll see. But right now you're looking at Ryan O'Reilly, no points. You're looking at Jordan Cairo, one goal, no assists. Saad had no points before he left the lineup with this upper body injury. And now you put Buchnevich on IR, so you're going to be without him. Even though it's ret- retroactive, he could come back. You know, this offense is a question mark right now. Well, you're still missing some bodies, you know, and that's what does it. You have to look down deep into the lineup. And, you know, a kind of X factor for me is Braden Shen. Where he, Where's he going to fit in? Are you going to go center? Are you going to go wing? Is he going to move up and down? Like, there's a lot of different question marks, JR, that I think can work for this club. But I always look at that that nuclear option. Like, put Thomas with Kairou. What's that going to look like? I like the fact that they keep the, that Craig Berube keeps them apart at least during the regular part of the game, and that's maybe something you dig into in your back pocket. Do you see any path forward that that could happen like more often, at least as the game goes on? Maybe if the team's trailing, you put Thomas and Kairo together just to try to get some juice with some players out of the lineup, or do you think in Barubi's eyes maybe that's just too risky of a defensive proposition? No, I think at some point you're going to have to try that. And again, I'm keeping in mind that it's just four games into the season. Mike, when I drew up the lines when they uh, looked at the roster for the upcoming season, you know, this is before preseason, I thought there was a chance that you'd see Cairo and Thomas together. But we could not forget about the success that Thomas Tarasenko Buchnevich mm-hmm. had last year. And Craig Ruby came out of the gate with that. But we're looking at seven, eight, nine years of Cairo and Thomas likely playing together, especially after this year if Tarasenko is indeed on the move. You know, Cairo is a defensive liability. Thomas is getting much better in the defensive zone. So I, I don't think that it could be an issue. I think if they're putting up some points together, then that could be something. I just don't see a Cairo Ryan O'Reilly chemistry. And, and, you know, I could be wrong here in a month. We look back and they're playing well together. 
Uh, but to, especially now with a couple guys that they're missing, I just don't see it. So I think Craig Bruby might have to mix things up. It looks like in practice, my friend Luke Korak, who is in St. Louis for practice, uh, reported that Shen was back with Thomas and Tarasenko today in practice and that uh, Ivan Barbashev was up with O'Reilly and Cairo. So, JR, and again, we're talking with Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. You could follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. Uh, he was with the team on this road trip. He's with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. JR, the news, of course, today with Pavel Buchnevich, everyone seems to be asking what happened to him and is this something that's long term? For people that don't know, the injured reserve is only seven days, but what's your concern level with what's plaguing him? I'd say it's a, a six at least. Uh, I think just, you know, when you're in person with uh, Barubi and you're talking to him and you ask him, you know, he's not going to show his cards or tell you what the injury is, uh, but it's been a lower body and two or three days in a row there, I remember asking, and he was saying that, uh, you know, this is something that's, that's lingering and uh, we, we don't know, he kept saying. So anytime you hear that, uh, there's not a, a date, I don't think that they're circling, saying that he's going to come back. So it is retroactive. His last game was October 15th. He could play in the next couple of days. It just didn't seem like with him not practicing and with Craig Gruby saying that the injury was lingering, that this is a situation where we'll see him in the lineup Wednesday night, Saturday night. You know, I don't know if it, that it's going to be weeks, but uh, it sure doesn't seem like days. You know, it came out today, Jr. that Tyler Pitlick signed with the St. Louis Blues, seven fifty, pretty much a league minimum deal for the team. And, and for me, you know, having played with Pitlick, knowing that he's somebody who could slot right into the fourth line if necessary, he can grind, he can kill penalties, he'll block shots, all those all those intangibles that you need. You know, it's it's going to kind of put this lineup into flux a little bit when you start to get everybody healthy again. If you get Bushnevich and Saad back, and now you've got Pitlick in the mix, you know, I kind of clue in wondering about a Jake Neighbors. You know, he, he had a great training camp for me. He's he's built like an ox. I think he's physically mature enough for the NHL, but just haven't seen it quite click yet. Do you think there's any opportunity that Neighbors may head to Springfield of the American Hockey League for a time, or do you think he's bound to stay in St. Louis the rest of the season? Yeah, Mike, I think there's a chance of that when everybody is healthy, if and when that does happen. Uh, I think that he's had some moments where he is noticeable driving to the net. I can remember on a couple occasions, the one time against uh, Edmonton, I think there was a time against Seattle. Uh, so I think there's spurts, but you're right. I don't think for the full game you notice him and say, okay, he's an automatic guarantee to be in that top nine. So, yeah, you get Buchnevich back, you get Saad back. Uh, I think that Pitlick can help you in the time being. You know, where's Logan Brown at last mm-hmm. night? It was his, was, was his first game, and, you know, can he impress the coaches enough to stay in this lineup as well? So when you get everybody back and let's just say a Braden Shen trickles down to the third line, it's going to make it tough for a guy like Neighbors and or Logan Brown and these guys to stay in the lineup. And Doug Armstrong has said repeatedly that if it's not top nine for Jake Neighbors, it would likely be free Springfield for him. So I could see that if things continue the way they have. So, uh, Jeremy, um, on the defensive side for the team, a dud in Winnipeg, but it follows after one of their best performances that I've seen in some time against the Edmonton Oilers. And I personally feel like this is just kind of what the season's going to be, but more times than not, you're going to see the performance that they had against Edmonton. But where are you at with the defense after four games? I like it. I really do. I thought that game against Edmonton, like you said, was just uh, tremendous. And, and I think it really showed what, that top four when all those guys are on the ice can do. And, and not just them, but I thought Robert Bortuzzi and especially Nico Mikola were terrific. Uh, I think that you have the O'Reilly line against that McDavid line. They did a tremendous job. They're, they're not scoring points, but they did a good job defensively against that group. You know, last night we can sit here and lament about it. Long road trip, tough team, Winnipeg embarrassed by Toronto a few nights earlier, 
and you're missing a few of your key guys. Uh, so, you know, the old cliche, throw it out the window. You can, but come back Wednesday and play better against Edmonton. We'll see. Uh, but I like this team defensively. You know, I think that uh, that third pair can help out. They're not going to get the notoriety as the top four, uh, but they can really do a good job. But the bottom line here, guys, is, you know, it's fine if O'Reilly and those guys and his line are able to uh, stop some of the better lines in the league, but they're also going to have to put up points or there's going to be that mix and a match that we just talked about a couple minutes ago. Oh, if there's anything that the Blues shouldn't be too concerned with, at least the early going, it's been the goaltending. Uh, JR, I think people question that coming into the year. Is Jordan Bennington going to be able to reclaim uh, his ability that he's shown previously? I thought he was great in the playoffs last year until Nazem Kadri decided to knock him into Kansas City zip code. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, he's looked great. And Grice last night was strong as could be for the Blues. My only concern is that they are giving up pretty high amount of high danger chances once again and we saw that last year start to wear on Bennington so uh, where do you think the team's at at this point in terms of their goaltending and just being able to help them out in the defensive zone that middle area in front of the net last night too many missed assignments I I have to guess that that's going to be something that Craig Brube is going to address yeah giving up those slot shots has been an issue for the Blues for the past couple of years and you know I watched that game last night Winnipeg could have had a few more goals not just because Grice was playing so well, but they missed on so many mm-hmm. shots uh, in the slot area, wide open, not covered, missed the shot. So there could have been more. But you look at the goaltending, I think Bennington has been outstanding. I just think he's in his own. I think he prepared himself mentally to come in and be the guy this year. And obviously you have to have that positive reinforcement. You have to play well. If you don't play well, then all of a sudden your mindset goes, he's been great. I was really eager to see uh, Thomas Grice last night. I thought he was terrific. Uh, had to put up with a lot of those uh, high-danger chances. So the Blues are going to have to figure that out. I go back to uh, Jordan Bennington. I think the stat is he's seen about 16 high-danger shots, stopped 15 of them. You know, that's a good save percentage for high-danger shots. That's not going to keep up the entire year. The Blues are going to have to rectify that defensively. Even though we talk about how good they played, especially against Edmonton, there's just that one particular area where they're giving up those shots there that they need to control that. J.R.? Always uh, great to catch up with you, man. Uh, have a safe trip back to St. Louis. Hopefully you're back before the Blues drop the puck tomorrow night. But uh, <laughs> thanks so much for hopping on with us, man, and we'll see you in St. Louis tomorrow. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. There you go. Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. Again, you could follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll head back out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Louis DeBrusque, analyst for the Edmonton Oilers and for Sportsnet, is going to join us to preview Blues and Oilers tomorrow night. That's next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. NHL goaltender Mike McKenna and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Blues Oilers tomorrow night at Enterprise Center. 7 o'clock puck drop, 6 o'clock pregame show with myself and Joe Vitale. And it is always a pleasure to get the chance to catch up with Louis DeBrusque, who is a color analyst for the Edmonton Oilers and a hockey analyst on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Of course, Blues and Oilers in action tomorrow night. Louis, thank you so much for taking some time and joining us today. How are you, sir? 
I'm well today. Alex, how are you doing? Doing fantastic. Uh, just about to get on a plane to head your way, actually. Well, and hopefully that plane is not frozen like the Blues had to deal with in Winnipeg. So hopefully you're going to get here quicker than they had to deal with last night. Uh, yeah, but... yeah, welcome to this time of year, right? <laughs> Starting to get chilly. Starting right. to get chilly. Exactly. Well, you'll get rain when you get to St. Louis, but hopefully it'll be a little bit warmer than what you guys have been dealing with up north. Uh, Louie, I-, I wanted to start just with the the Blues and Oilers because that game on, on Saturday afternoon, in my opinion, was the most entertaining game from the Blues this season, and you're going to get another rematch of it Wednesday. What was your general thoughts when you saw those two teams go head-to-head with that performance? Yeah, you know what? It, you always get excited when you see that matchup on the calendar, and for two reasons. Number one, the Blues, the way they play. They're such a structured team and have gained such a healthy respect around the league with the way they play, and obviously the Cup win in 2019 just kind of really stabilize that as as far as the way they want to be known for their identity and for the Edmonton Oilers it's a team that's on the rise it's a team that's trying to do what the Blues did in 19 go all the way and win the Stanley Cup and they feel like they're moving in the right direction and have the core here to build around and accomplish that so when you have a team that's that's rising that's up and coming against a team that's already done it trying to do it again you know it's going to be a great clash, and I thought that's what it was. It was a very defensive-minded game with some really great chances because of the offensive talent that's on both sides. And that, to me, is playoff hockey already early in the season. When, when you look at that game, once both teams settled in, it was like a playoff game. Nobody wanted to make a mistake. Nobody wanted to take that crucial penalty that could potentially lead to a power play goal, and, and it was a power play goal early in the game, and you never know when that's going to be that won the game for the St. Louis Blues. one nothing really, with an open net to make it 2 nothing. So I think it'll be the same uh, tomorrow night. I think that both teams have a really healthy respect for one another, and that usually brings out the best in everybody involved. Louie, Mike McKenna here. It's great to hear your voice. Uh, you know, I look at this series coming up here, and, and not series, but the second game that the Blues have now played against Edmonton, and I know like our fans in St. Louis that are listening in probably want to hear more of that side of the story, and to me, it's <laughs> it's it's taking that game that we saw, which is essentially a one nothing game, where in my eyes, boy, the Blues checked hard with their feet. They were able to contain McDavid to the best of your ability and the rest of the Oilers' speed pretty well. My question, though, really is, like, let's say these two teams face off in a playoff seven-game series. Like, in your eyes, do you think the St. Louis Blues are built to be able to contend with the speed and skill of the Edmonton Oilers? What would they have to do to be able to come away with a victory in a seven-game series? Um, Hey, Mike, good to hear your voice, too. Yeah, you know what? I um. It's interesting because when you look at that, I thought Nick Letty was excellent in the mm-hmm. game. He was one guy that stood out to me, and that's probably the, the reason why um, Chief wanted to have him in that matchup versus McDavid because he's an excellent skater. I mean, obviously, Colton Pareko, that big, long reach, he can, he can get a lot done as well, but you, you have to match that speed. And, he, and, and let's face it, we kind of joke, you know, there's not too many defensemen, I think, that really have a full eight hours, you know, restful sleep the night before facing Connor McDavid. <laughs> Not goalies either. <laughs> no, no, honestly, you, know, you know, I used, I used to, yeah, you know what? Goalies as well, right? I, I used to say, you know, back in the day, I'd have these cold sweats, you know, going into the game. I think Stu Grimson was in town or Tony Twist for a oh, St. Louis Blues. You're yeah, facing I mean, the Reaper? You know, oh, baby. Yeah, you're, you're you know, you're thinking, you're thinking for like days before, am I going to have to tangle with this guy? And, and, and forget about trying to sleep on game day. You might as well just go to the rink three hours early, which is what I used to do. Because you can't help but think about it. But I thought they did a great job of that. Now, 
that's the big question, though. Can they, if it was, let's say it was a seven-game playoff series, can they withstand that, you know, for, for over a seven-game series and win four? Now, the one thing about the Blues, and I'll say this in 19, obviously you have a, a different take on it. My son played for the Bruins and lost that Stanley Cup final in seven to the Blues. But I got to cover them that year as well, and I think they took a piece of every team they played. You know, that's, that's their identity, too. They're going to make you work for every single inch you're going to gain, and they're going to do it in a manner that's going to wear and tear on you. And there's going to be casualties. And that's, that's, it's a war of attrition when you get into the playoffs, and they were the best team at it. And rightfully so, they won the Stanley Cup. It was a great, it was a great Cup victory for them. And I think that's kind of their mentality. Now, with a really fast team, what do you do? You try and take that speed away in a lot of different ways. You try and be physical. You try and play in the offensive zone and make those players defend instead of getting off the brush. You manage the puck well so you don't turn things over and allow that speed to take over a game. There's so many things that you can try and do. And on the flip side, you know, I think the Oilers right now are a team that's, that's learning how to adjust and play a little bit more of that type of a game. They understand that teams are always trying to take that away, so they're trying to manufacture offense a little bit different. They're trying to manu- manufacture offense off the offensive zone cycle. They're becoming a, a better in-zone team in that, that regard. More shots to the net, more traffic, making those second efforts you know, important because that's where you're going to win hockey games, especially in June. But if you start to have that mentality early in the season, it becomes second nature, and now you can win in a multitude of ways. So that'd be a great series. I'd love to see it. I think it would be a great contrasting balance of two teams that go out a little bit differently. But at the same time, uh, I think that Edmonton's trying to morph into that team that can win in a lot of different ways. And the St. Louis Blues, I know, are a team that are always trying to improve on what they already have. And I think it's just the, the core. You look at the older guys on the team, they lead by example each and every every day and each and every year, the way they come into camp, the way they're ready to go, and the way they play the game. We're talking with Louis DeBrusque here on uh, the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line here on BK and Ferrario. Mike McKenna, Alex Ferrario with you. Uh, Louis, from the opposition's perspective, last season it was the threat of this team was their offense when they have nine different 25-plus goal scorers. This season, what is the threat from the opposition's outlook? Well, I think think they're a team that leans on you. They're a team that leans on you throughout the game. And that's that structure once again. And, you know, don't get me wrong. They still have a ton of firepower. They still have young players and Thomas and Kyrie that have broke onto the scene and really exploded over the last couple of years and taken that next step. I think you have key veteran players that have been through it all. You know, have been around this league for a long time. So they, they know how to control those emotions early in the season. They know when they need to ratchet it up. I think, you know, for, for Craig Berube, he's, he's very reliant with that core and that, that veteran presence to get the job done. He gives them a long leash in that regard as far as knowing, hey, they play the right way. If they continue to play this way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to start to go the way we need it to go. Um, that would be for me. Like when I look at the St. Louis Blues, the, the immediate thing you think about is, this is a team that can ground and pound you into the ground if they have to. This is a team that can come out there and beat you off the rush as well because they have highly skilled players. They can play in a multitude of ways. And again, going back to what I said about Edmonton, they can't just be a freewheeling off the transition, you know, off, off the uh, attack type of a team. They have to figure out other ways to manufacture offense when a team like St. Louis, for instance, shuts them down like they did in the first matchup this year. It was a great game, and, and for Darnell Nurse, I talked to him about it. He said it was more like a chess match. You know, it's, it, you get to a point where the strategy is you can't make that glaring mistake. You can't have that glaring turnover because it'll be in the back of your net. So you have to be patient, 
which is almost contradicted. You would, you would think about it in a game like that. You'd say, do you really want to be patient, but you're only down by one goal. You have to be patient because if you start to force things, you're in trouble. And that's, that's when teams will pick you apart. And that's exactly what I would say about the St. Louis Blues. They're a team that if you try and force on them, you try and put pucks to them, which I believe Edmonton did for early in the game. They tried to force passes. And as a result, they weren't tape to tape. Um, they weren't making those cross-team passes. They were in the skates. They weren't getting the shot away in time. There was a stick in the lane. And that's just dialing things in. I thought they got better as the game went on, and it was a very, very good game. And I expect them to be even more ready for that tomorrow night because they look at the Blues as, as a test every single time they play them. I know that for a fact. When you look at the St. Louis Blues, they're a team that when they play them, it's kind of a gauge of where they are in the season and where they are in the game. Louis, the Oilers are six games into their season. Next Tomorrow night's going to be their seventh, and, and I think they've faced a pretty strong strength of schedule so far. You look at some of these clubs that they've faced, Calgary, Carolina, St. Louis, Pittsburgh. I mean, even this Buffalo that's been a surprising team, 4-1 and one on the year. Yeah. You know, out of that grouping of teams, any of them, have they surprised you? You know, which of those clubs do you think is, is really for real? Is there is there any mirage happening with whether it's Buffalo or even the start that, say, Pittsburgh has been on? Yeah, good question. I mean, the goal scoring for Pittsburgh, I think, is going to come down. There's just no way they can maintain that level um, that they were at. I mean, 26 goals over the first five games, I believe it was, and six goals in each of their four victories they've had in the season, um, which is, that's that's big firepower. Now, no, no, I, I don't think it's a fluke. I think when you look at the makeup of their team, they're still a highly offensive team. They've turned over the back end a little bit, added a few players there. And, you know, I think they're still figuring that aspect of it out. But you, there's another team. You, uh, you feed them. You feed the transitional game with the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're, you're asking for a lot of trouble because there's a bunch of guys. They have a very deep nine, similar to, as you mentioned last year, the St. Louis Blues. I look at the Pittsburgh Penguins very similar that way. Um, with Jeff Carter centering that third line when you split up Malkin and Crosby, just a formidable spine down the middle. It's, it's, it's very impressive, actually. And, you know, Carter can still get around the ice pretty quick. He had a couple great chances um, in the game. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody's really surprised. I mean, maybe Buffalo a little bit, but look at the way they finished the year last year. I mean, that was, you know, for me, Don Granato, um, Kevin Adams, the way they've kind of built that team. They've had high draft picks, very skilled players in the pinman. They're starting to figure out um, and starting to, you know, I, I always say there's that, there's that, swing and that switch in a team that's young and just, you know, trying to survive in the league to saying to themselves, Hey, you know what? We can actually do more than that. We can actually win games. We can actually play our game and make the other team have to worry about us. And I think that's been the switch with Buffalo is you're seeing the Darlene's of the world just emerge. I mean, he scored in five straight games as a defenseman, uh, NHL record. It's incredible. I love seeing that stuff, but uh, nobody's really, for me, I don't think there's been any surprises. I think, as you said, coming into the start of the season with six games to start at home, they knew that it was going to be a tough schedule. They came out of it 500. That was a real big win last night. I think over a Pittsburgh Penguin team that's been flying. And I think when you look at that game, the switch went on in the second period. The first period, it was pretty tight checking. And then, boom, 2-1 game, early goal by the Penguins in the second period. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, it's time to dig in here and start to go to work. And that's exactly what they did. They put 26 shots on net in the second period, um, which is a franchise record. It was incredible. And they, and it, they, they were relentless on the four check. So I expect a little more of that tomorrow. That's the game they want to play. Take time and space away, put the pressure on. They didn't capitalize and weren't able to connect on their plays against the Blues the first game on Saturday afternoon. But 
that's kind of what they're looking for. They're looking to create those opportunities. And then once they do the high end skill that they have can finish things off. So yeah, you know what? Listen, I think it's a tough league guys. I look around and I don't see any easy games. I really don't. I, I don't see any team that you can walk into and take lightning down the national hockey. League. The parody is incredible. Absolutely. And, and Louie, that's the final question I wanted to get from you. We appreciate your time today joining us. But every year I always feel like you talk about the Central Division being the difficult division to play against when you think of the Dallas and the Colorados and the Winnipegs and the Nashvilles and the Minnesota. You know what you're always getting. But are we starting to see that open up with the Pacific now with Vegas and Calgary and Edmonton? And I mean, honestly, Seattle and L.A. have started off very well also. Yeah, no, I agree. It used to be, you know, you look at the big California teams back in the day, it was like, it was the California triangle. You go into California, <laughs> you were lucky if you came out with any points at all, playing Los Angeles, Anaheim, and San Jose, all cup contenders. And obviously LA and Anaheim won cups. San Jose went to the Stanley Cup final, but it was, they were all powerhouses. They were all teams that were big, they were fast, and you knew it was going to be a tough, tough road trip going in there. But I do still believe, you know, Western Canada, I didn't see the start for Vancouver, to be honest with you guys. I didn't see that happening to that team. I thought... Honestly, they were going to have a better start. And I really thought there was going to be positives this year for them, but it's really turned south quickly. And I, from being through it here in Edmonton, because listen, I've been here in Edmonton now for a long time covering this team. I've seen the lows. I've seen the jerseys on the ice. I've seen a, a, a fan base that's absolutely uh, beside themselves with how the organization is going. And it can turn around. And I really do hope that it does turn around for Vancouver because I don't like seeing any organization go through those types of loans. But, um, I, you know, I think it's a tough division. It always has been. And the Edmontons of the world, the Calgary's of the world, as you mentioned, Los Angeles last year, really pushed them around one going seven games. Uh, and that's a team that I think you always have to keep your eye on because they've, they've replenished. They've got young guys with the old. And whenever you have that older nucleus that's won it before and two times in L.A. with those guys, you can still build around it, and there's still valuable lessons to learn for the young players playing the right way. So they're always going to be dangerous. I think they have a very strong back end when they get, get firing on all cylinders. Um, so that's another team that I think you have to watch. But I agree. I think the Pacific's always been tough, but we'll go back to what we said earlier. I look around the league, and I, like I said, I think there's going to be some surprises this year. I think teams, you know, the Ottawa Senators are on a winning streak right now. You know, Buffalo, like you said, come into this season, has a new outlook on life and the way they want to play. And they're not apologizing for any of it. They've had to go through some tough times to get to that stage where they are. And now it's their time to try and make some noise. And there's some teams that we didn't expect to make noise really in the season that are. It's going to be a fun season. Louie, it is always a pleasure to get to chat with you. Thank you so much. Have a safe trip to St. Louis and looking forward to seeing you at Enterprise Center tomorrow night. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. We'll see you tomorrow. There you go. Louis DeBrusque, uh, analyst for Sportsnet, Hockey Night in Canada, and, of course, the color analyst for the Edmonton Oilers. We'll take a break, and something Louis mentioned is bugging Mike McKenna, and we're going to get mm-hmm. into that with our junk drawer next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Tanner Hendrickson and Mike McKenna. I'm Alex Ferrario as we head into today's junk drawer. And Mike walked in studio today and told us, fellas, 
I've got something oh, because yeah. it's grinding my gear. So, Mike, take it away. So I'm watching, you know, I'm on the Instas last night and today, and I'm checking out the socials. And, okay, so the Edmonton Oilers beat the Pittsburgh Penguins 6-3 in Edmonton. Great. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. Well, a Pittsburgh Penguins, I'm going to give the old quotations. You can't see you can't see me giving quotations because this is radio, but, like, some Penguins fan throws their jersey on the ice. Yeah, well, what are you trying to prove here? Okay, so first off, the Penguins fans shouldn't be mad about anything. Yeah, that the team four is one and one Penguins who have scored the most goals in the National Hockey League. Yeah, so like, get out of here in the first place. But like, this whole trend of showing your displeasure by throwing your favorite team's jersey on the ice, like, here here's my comparable. That's basically like trampling on the American flag to me. You can do it. It is your constitutional right. You can tra- You can do whatever you want to your jersey. You've paid for it. That does not mean that it's right. You should not do that. I can't. I just. I can't get on board with this, man. That's so disrespectful. Like, I, I have a rule that comes from Mark Messier that your jersey doesn't touch the floor. Yep. Okay. I tell that to our six-year-olds, our ten-year-olds, and, and I don't have a lot of crazy old-school rules, man. I grow a beard, you know, like oh, I, yeah. I, I have pierced ears and ride a skateboard sometimes <laughs> and listen to heavy metal, but I would never put my jersey on the floor, Yeah, much less throw one on the ice. I just think that's childish behavior. And if you're actually a fan of a team, you're not throwing your jersey on the ice. You're just making a statement to try to get on the instas and be popular on the socials. I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I've. So I've been covering the Blues since 2013, and like I've been that locker, I've been in the locker room a lot, and they not only respect the jersey, that's a Bobby Plager, that's a Plager thing in yes, St. Louis, but and the, to stand usual thing, you go back even further, yep. like the, the icons we've had in this. City. Absolutely, yep. they respect the the uh, the logo. Like I remember the old Blues locker room, it was the Blues logo on the dressing room floor. And reporters would go in there, and if a reporter would just stand on it or a cameraman who doesn't normally go in there, people would be like, hey, hey, get out. Like, it was intimidating. They roped it off. They roped it off. In Tampa Bay for the Stanley the Cup put finals it on the years ceiling. ago. That's, teams have gotten smart Yeah, now. because of people, of course, people don't have that same respect for it. And, or they the, just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. If you're not in there enough, like, I can understand. Like, camera guys who are in there for television who haven't been in there yet this season, you're not going to understand that that's what's going on because other places don't do that. But the Pittsburgh Penguins thing is ridiculous because that team's good. Vancouver's another story. Vancouver is 0-5-2 oh, to start the season. Like, it is it's an ugly. ish show right now. They thought they were going to be good. They're not good. They've got players that are out, sp- out uh, speaking out about how they didn't want to be a part of a rebuild this season. Their captain. Their captain. Bo Horvat. The captain has been, like, losing it. But here's the thing. I'm so with you to the point where even if your team is bad, why are you throwing the jersey on the ice? You're, you you paid for that That's jersey. What I, was say. I can't yes. even imagine doing it. I don't even still I, love the team. I can't even sell myself on throwing my hat on the ice, yeah. let alone if I were to throw a jersey on it's the a, ice. It's a little bit of copycat here, though, because when that happened in Vancouver last year, mm-hmm. Travis Green, the head coach of the team at the time, got fired. Yeah. Well, now fans think if they toss a jersey, we can get a coach fired. And this is the thing, like, <laughs> if, if, if you want to if you want to be upset with the team, that is fine. And there's other ways to show the team that you're not happy with how don't they're going buy about tickets. Don't buy tickets. Don't buy concessions. Don't go, don't go to the game. Why did Ottawa have 4,000 people in the stands when I was playing there? Everybody hated the owner. Why does Arizona have to play in the college stadium this season? 
There's a lot going on. Well, there's that. a lot I'm going on. I'm rooting for that. Arizona, though, and I'm very happy that Ottawa's found his footing again. This was the quote from JT <laughs> Miller, the guy who just signed a seven year contract extension with the team. If they want to throw their ish on the ice, it's up to them. If they want to come to the game, spend all that money and throw their gear on the ice, that's up to them. I agree with what he's saying, but the way it came out is not the way you want to go about broadcasting no, your team. But JT's really good at that. He was always a motor mouth on the ice, even when he was 20 years old in the American Hockey League, and I was in my like seventh or eighth year. And he thought it would be a, 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 a nice thing to do to try to chirp a veteran goaltender. We've had a couple of those guys that roll through, and that leaves an impression on you. Yeah. Ryan Callahan did that, but he turned out to be a pretty good player. I was going to say, he could back it yeah. up. Yeah, and you know what, though? Look at his broadcasting career. He's done a great job at yep. ESPN. So I'm, I'm that one I'll give him a little bit of space, <laughs> but... You know, Some of the other ones. Jake Vertanen, you know, he's 21 years old, and he's in the American League after a full year in the NHL, skates yep. by it, giving it to me. I go... Look at him. I go, you're a 20 year old has been. <laughs> the chirps from at Mike least McKenna. I was and never was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Mike McKenna, Tanner Hendrickson, and Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got Bet It or Forget It. You send us the scenario. We'll tell you if we're going to bet it or forget it. But coming up next, Mike and his team at Daily Faceoff had a, a really fun conversation over the weekend about the potential extra cap space for NHL teams next season. So we're going to look at that and see if the Blues can be one of the intriguing teams with that extra money. That, and it's the return of a tinfoil Ferrari. We're going to see if it's outlandish or actually spot on next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think if this is a team that if the Blues decide they want to run it back and try and keep most of this core together and resign, but maybe it's all three or at least one or two of them, I think that increase, the best case scenario, would benefit the Blues a lot. Uh, of course, it also would give them the ability, let's say they decide they want to move on from a Tarasenko or Murabi to chase a different free agent because there are some younger free agents that you could build around longer term in this class, projected, you know, if, if they don't resign with the teams before then, guys like David Pasternak and Dylan Larkin. So, if the Blues gain that cap space and they decide not to sign, for example, a Tarasenko, maybe you have enough money to deploy that towards the David Pasternak instead and get basically a younger version of what Tarasenko was. That was Matt Larkin of the Daily Faceoff, who was with us yesterday on BK and Ferrario and alongside Mike McKenna, former NHL goaltender and of Daily Faceoff, Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. I thought what Matt said was really interesting and I loved what Daily Faceoff did over the weekend, where the entire panel put together their list of teams that could take advantage and utilize the extra four to four and a half million dollars of cap space that's projected from Gary Bettman, who said at the Board of Governors meetings that the escrow could be paid off by the end of this season, which is going to take away that flat cap era that the NHL teams have been playing in. And of that daily face-off list, a lot of people went with the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, the Toronto Maple Yeah, well, understandably <laughs> so. And see, that I wasn't upset that the Blues weren't on that list. Because there are a lot of obvious teams that could take advantage of that extra cap space. But when I saw it, Mike, 
the first team I thought of was St. Louis with three pending free agents, three impactful pending free agents and Barbashev, Tarasenko mm-hmm. and O'Reilly. Um, you just got those contract extensions for Thomas and Cairo. You've got currently, according to cap friendly around like $15 million in cap space for next season, but you only got like 12 or 13 players under contract. Am I off to think that the Blues could be one of those teams that could really take advantage of that extra four to four and a half million dollars? I really think it's across the board. I mean, it's a really fun exercise to see what teams can do with an extra four and a half. But you have to look at the teams that are willing to spend the cap in the first place. And that's St. Louis. Yeah. St. Louis knows every like, if 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 you're not willing to spend money, you're not going to win in the NHL. It's just not going to happen. Look at all the teams that have taken home the Stanley Cup. They're all right up against the cap. And and you do bring up a great point here, Alex, that there's a lot of moving parts here in the next year for the St. Louis Blues. And, you know, I, I do look at it that there's not a lot of players tied up. You're going to have to make the decisions with O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Barbashev. Like, there's they're pretty big core pieces there, obviously. Mm-hmm. And are you going to try to keep O'Reilly and Tarasenko? I mean, is, is Tarasenko a foregone conclusion that he's leaving? To, it seems like it, right? Because yeah. it's that's everything we've heard and everything in, in terms of prior trade requests. It, it seems like Doug Armstrong is just going to, at the end of this season, say, thank you for your service and off you go, Vladdy. Right. It's been great. You know, if you've got an extra four and a half million dollars, I think that really helps your chances of keeping O'Reilly in the fold. And that's your captain. And he's 31 years old. Now, I don't know what your long-term look's going to be on that, but you have to think that He's going to want to stick around the place that he won the cup, that he is the captain of, that he's going to have that magnetic draw to it. But what can they do in free agency is my real question. Yeah. You know, who are you going to be able to pick up that's going to help your club? And I think the D is pretty rock solid for the next several years. I mean, you've got four that are in there unless you make a big trade. Yeah, I agree. And I think you're – I kind of – I'm concerned about the age of the D core over the maybe two to three years from now mm-hmm. and if that doesn't start to catch up. But – the forward group is going to need something. You're going to be missing Tarasenko. Perron's already gone. Are you going to be able to make take make it take a big swing at a ten million dollar player? And because see, there's going to be a few out there. And see, that's where the conversation comes in for me, and why this is an interesting exercise, Mike. Because let's just say you get the four million dollars in cap space, and with twelve, I think it's twelve guys according to Cap Friendly that you have locked up under contract next season. You're looking at around eighteen, nineteen million dollars. So fourteen guys are locked up to a contract next season. As much as we all say that you need to find a way to bring back Ryan O'Reilly because he is the heart and soul of the team, he's the captain, we also know how Doug Armstrong operates to where he sees it and says, yeah, but he's going to be 31 years old. We wonder if there's a way to go a little bit younger here. And I guess my question doing this exercise is looking at this team beyond the season and say, where's your weakness? Because you've got Thomas that you believe is the number one center. You've got Braden Shen for the next five or six seasons. You don't have a lot of goal scorers. Brandon Sod's there. Um, Pavel Buchnevich is there. Jordan Kairou is there. But after that, then who? Mm-hmm. Jake Neighbors, you're hoping, can get there. Zachary Bolduc, who wasn't ready to make the jump to the pro level this season. Uh, the Torpchenkos are going to be there, obviously, for you. But are they the top six goal scorers that you need. Now, I'm not saying I'd go this way because I think Ryan O'Reilly is an impactful piece, and I think you uh, would suffer if you don't have him on this roster. But with players like a Pasternak sitting on the free agent market mm-hmm. or a Dylan Larkin sitting on the free agent market, 
Is that a scenario that Doug says, hey, we just found $4 million in cap space and the cap is only going to keep going up from here. And if we feel like we have an opportunity to get a younger goal scorer to play with our top six, that's already pretty good. I think I might want to take advantage of that situation. You named a couple of good ones right off the bat. Uh, David Pasternak going to get paid wherever it is. I don't know where it's going to be because he took a huge haircut on his last deal with Boston. Yeah. I, and I can't imagine he's going to look back at that and think, well, that was a lot of fun. I think I want to take another one of those. Yeah, He's going to get paid, and it's going to be big money because right now he's proving that he can do it without Brad Marchand in the lineup in Boston, which is always a litmus test. Can a player replicate things without their star players around them? And, you know, Larkin, where's he going to fit in the mix in Detroit? He's 26, and that's a team that's on the cusp of doing some better things. Uh-huh. Will he be available once he hits UFA? I think it's realistic because if the Blues are going to go for somebody, it's got to be somebody that's in that 27 to 28 range. It's got to be like a Johnny Gaudreau who was available mm-hmm. this past offseason, you know? And data mining that to find that player may not be the easiest thing because they may get locked up. But I do believe that they could have the flexibility to do so. And when you look at the Blues in general, just like across the board, if you have to move money, I, I actually think that some of those contracts that the D have, even with some no trade clauses and things, We've seen no trade clauses go out the window before. Yeah. You could move money if you have to. If you think your deficiency, if you're Doug Armstrong and you think your deficiency is at Ford and it's scoring and you don't see any players coming along through the pipeline, I could see a swing at it. But it's just never been Doug Armstrong's MO to Mm -hmm. go for the flashiest, shiniest object. It's making the trade for like the Pavel Buchnevichs, who are guys that are like, oh, I didn't know much about this player. And then all of a sudden it's, oh, this is a top six player for you. I've got something, Mike, that I like to call a tinfoil Ferrario theory for mm. you. It's just stuff that goes on in my mind. Tanner knows they never work out. They're, they're really stupid ideas most Way of the time. Off, it's not like the Ferrario 5 that clicks every time I give you yeah, a it's list. It's still iffy there, too. But it kind of ties into this free agent market and the potential extra cap space, but it also impacts this season. The New World Order. 5G cell phone towers taking over the world. Microchips in your bloodstream. And Earth is actually flat. Ferrario, don't forget the tinfoil hat. So the reason I said this ties into this season. You like <laughs> that, Mike? Too good. You like that, Mike? We got a little X-Files on you here. <laughs> I'm thinking of Joaquin Phoenix and, and, and signs. signs. Sitting there with a metal ta- yeah. tinfoil cap on. Yeah, and the, little, the little feet on the ceiling. <laughs> the, ceiling. <laughs> the, team, the team and player I'm thinking of is Bo Horvat with Vancouver. We just talked about Vancouver kind of being an issue right now, and mm. Bo Horvat, the captain of it. Bo Horvat, I don't think, is going to be back with that team, especially for how, how outspoken he has been. But Bo Horvat is a really good player. He's a centerman. He's a guy who scores 20 goals pretty much every single season. He's a player that goes to the front of the net, and he's a guy who has performed in the playoffs when he's been there. Remember the year that they beat the Blues in the bubble? He had 10 goals in 17 games for Vancouver. I wonder if Bo Horvat, who's a pending free agent, could be that guy that you extend yourself out for. He falls into that range that you're talking about, Mike, of 27 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's also somebody that you could acquire via trade deadline and make a push for a cup this year with that roster in place and then look at maybe bringing him back as a member of that top six moving forward. Mm-hmm. Am I off? I think this is wild. Okay, I like it. I, I mean, I just don't see a, a Bo Horvat being the replacement for a Ryan O'Reilly. I'm not sure that that's the fit. He's a polar opposite of it, kind of. Yeah, 
I, I for me the question is like, what are the Blues going to do down center ice if you don't grab O'Reilly? Centers are so hard to come by, and it's a hard. It's a it is your the heartbeat of your team player. Yeah, I mean that's a Patrice Bergeron player to me in Boston, and the importance of that player there is equivalent to what O'Reilly is to me. We already talked about my plus minus theory in playoffs mm-hmm. and and where he fits in with that. But then again, the Blues don't have a ton at center that I really feel. I know beyond if you're not bringing back Barbashev, Logan Brown is a player that you're hoping to get the best out of, but you don't know if you don't bring back O'Reilly, it's Shannon Thomas. Right. And I could see a world where, man, it would be great to mix Bo Horvan, but he's not a third line center. Mm -hmm. Thomas isn't dropping down again. O'Reilly, you know, you can call him first or second. I mean, Thomas is going to eclipse O'Reilly in terms of scoring. Yeah. Top two lines in the NHL at this point, they're interchangeable. Yeah, it's AB, say, oh, it's, it's AB a like a goalie. Player, you know, whatever. Um, I'd love to have Bo, Bo Horvat, but I'm not sure how he fits on this club. Yeah. And, and I just feel like O'Reilly's going to be the big target that, boy, he's a, just a Doug Armstrong player, isn't he? Oh, yeah. You know, and, and that's where I think that that importance is going to be be felt and I think the biggest question with O'Reilly is just going to be term on a contract if they do go for it yep you know I, I 31 gonna be 32 by the end of this year you know still the search you make you looking at a four-year deal you're looking at a six you go into Chris Letang territory where are you going that's where so, it gets difficult with yep. it too but okay CT bone but Tim you know what don't when, work this, out. when this happens we'll go back they, to this? Do you go to Bo Horvat I'm gonna buy you a nice. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna buy you a nice cube steak dinner. And Mike Mike's gonna be doing to uh, some to gravy me on it. What we <laughs> should have done to him when he projected Nick Luddy last season yeah. via trade deadline. Yeah. Mike McKenna, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got Dan McLaughlin joining us, Cardinals broadcaster. But coming up next, send us your scenarios. We'll tell you if we are going to bet it or forget it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. We sing on this show, Mike. It's like karaoke every day here on BK and Ferrario. That makes it fun. Makes Keeps it a people on their toes, doesn't it? We, you should you should hear Tanner sing on Thursday, though. My I goodness, mean, that's at least good. My, whoa, man. Sorry, I mean, we're supposed like, to bond together when last, BK's not here. Last two days, man, that's been kind of off. You're. You guys need to go for lunch. It's a barbecue. No, T Bone only eats hot dogs, and I don't. Uh, uh, I don't agree in you that. You get along with my six year old. <laughs> Trying to get her branch out past hot dogs and nugs. No, don't you worry. Don't, you don't gotta do that. <laughs> don't no. worry, Mike Tanner eats like a six year old, but also a ninety six year old because it's Good. soup for dinner for him. Puree oh, it. Soup would be great tonight. <laughs> uh, it's better to forget it. Time. We'll get to Danny Mac coming up in about ten minutes or so. But let's start with this. Uh, the Cardinals actually just announced John Mozeliak's going to speak with the media. This is the end of the year press conference. It's nothing. Major. This is where he just takes the questions from the media after the season going into the offseason. So don't sit here and think, oh, they're going to announce a big trade. No, this is just John Mozeliak's end of the year press conference. But this is a good way to start it. Better to forget it. The Cardinals sign a free agent to a multi-year deal worth over $100 million. T-Bone? Uh, I'd like to believe it. Or I'd like to bet it, I mean. Uh... Well, man. Know the game. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Make an opinion made pick. You're on the spot here. Let's do it. I'm Get gonna, off the fence. Come on. I'm going to forget it because I'm not sure it's a guy that costs $100 million. No waffling. 
I don't think they signed one of those shortstops. That's why I'm out on it, basically. I I don't think Nemo would get that kind of deal. They're definitely not signing Judge. I don't see room for an ace. Contreras isn't going to cost it much if they sign him, so I'm forgetting it. The, the multi-year part I could see, it's the $100 million plus that I don't. This is, this is how people view the Cardinals. You know those little things on Twitter where they have a free agent and then they say like, hey, click on this and it'll show you who his next team is. The, the fun stuff that they do, they had a picture of Aaron Judge and they had all of the teams on there. There was no Cardinals available. They had the Oakland Athletics on that list, but not the Cardinals. Oh, that's that's how you can, you can Moneyball, believe baby. for them for that one. Mike, what do you think? Believe it or not, you get that hundred million contract. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm saying no. Oh, I said believe it or not too. What so a yeah, Come on, Bob. I don't All believe right. it. Uh, I'm actually gonna bet this one. Yeah, I think they signed a big time yeah, contract. Falls for cool. this every year, I file for yeah. it every year, but I. Uh, Do you I, feel I, your heart break every yeah, year? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sure. I don't his, even know how to protect myself I anymore. Say his heart is so numb from he the lives, heartbreak. Yeah. He doesn't even feel. I it. can't live, even live protect in a, myself. Living just a. a cocoon of disappointment absolutely <laughs> yeah um, and despair better despair. forget it mizzou football this forget season <laughs> i bad. was gonna say mizzou football makes a makes a uh, oh well no that would have worked yeah forget they it. make a bowl game i'll forget. buy that there's a thousand bowl games that's true but they're, they're, they're so, so bad, bad they, they won't make one <laughs> <laughs> i did find this interesting though dave matter just uh he tweeted this out a little bit ago because drink was uh, talking with the media before their next week's game and somebody asked him if he'd ever consider giving up play calling and this is what Drink said. I'll be open to it after this season. I'm not opposed to it, but this is a situation that I have created and I have to fix it this year. But better to forget it, Drinkwitz is going to have an offensive coordinator next season. Ooh. Um, I think I will bet it because I don't know how he can be calling plays after what's occurred with this offense last year. Now, I do think some of it is just that they don't have the right pieces in place, but watching him game plan for like Kansas State, Luther Byrne barely touches the ball. A five-star recruit comes in and he hasn't been really getting the touches that we were all expecting. I'll bet this. I think he hires an offensive coordinator and there's going to be a lot of pressure to make sure that he gets the right guy because if he fails there and then the team is bad, I, I'm telling you, I think Drinkwitz could be on the hot seat by some point next season if things don't go the right way. I will abstain from this and wait for the question regarding WWE SmackDown taking place on Friday at the Enterprise Center, and I will be there with my family. <laughs> I like that one. Better to forget it. This one will get you involved with it, Mike. Uh, the Blues sign Austin Matthews in 2024. Forget it. He's going to take 13 million bucks. I I'm going to pull like, out of here in a bright orange Lamborghini after this if they pull that off. I think he's <laughs> going to take like $15 million per year for how... Could be a short-term deal. Yeah, uh, especially if you're Austin Matthews and you see Nathan McKinnon say, I'm the best, I'm the highest payer, play, paid player in the league. Yeah, Austin Matthews is going to one-up that. I will say this, though. So 2000, this upcoming offseason, other than the Pasternak's, like we've mentioned, there's not a whole lot of sexy names out mm-hmm. there unless you want to go after Patrick Kane. Um, 2024, though, not just Austin Matthews. You've got Ajay Kopitar, Steven Stamkos, Sebastian Ajo, Blake Wheeler, William Nylander. That's a lot of names, That's a man. a lot. And Mark Shifley, Jake Gensel. There's and, a lot of names And, and be some there. players that are at, you know, they're pretty mid-pack of their career, right? Like mm-hmm. They're not that veteran. But keep in mind, a lot of them are going to get locked up. We know yep. that. Better to forget it, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane will get the Blackhawks back in the playoffs this year as their last hurrah together. And if you don't know, Blackhawks sit right behind the Blues in fifth place in the Central Division. Dude, 
you can't help but forget this. I would absolutely <laughs> never bet on this whatsoever with that lineup in Chicago. Uh, I'm glad you say that because I almost said forget that quicker than I said the Mizzou They one. don't have any goalies either. Mrazek just went on IR, mm-hmm. and I think I could come out of retirement and play as well as him. So they're in one there in Chicago, but somehow they keep grinding. They've so won they, three straight games. At least, you know what, though? They've got a work ethic. Mm-hmm. and. Luke Richardson is coaching that club. He's someone that demands it, but is also fair to his players. So who knows? But they're not making playoffs in Chicago. Three and two. They're sixth tied with Winnipeg and St. Louis for third place in the Central who Division. They, who have they beat in this winning streak? Um, Surely it's not somebody good, That's a right? good question. So they uh, beat prob- Seattle. Probably who, the, like they the Avalanche. They beat no. the Detroit Red Wings. They've been up and down, though. They lost one nothing to Vegas, so mm-hmm. that's so kind of the competition. They beat the San Jose Sharks, who have well, not won terrible. a game, yeah, and so they lost three, to the Colorado three game Avalanche. A mirage. I mean, I'm just playing, asking the questions, man. Bad's been playing bad, and bad can beat bad. <laughs> You're driving the boat. Come so on. Forget it. <laughs> they are not a good hockey team. Uh, I agree with Mike. Final one before we get to Dan McLaughlin on the other side. Bet it or forget it, the Blues make a trade for a top-nine winger before the end of the trade deadline. Mm. Man, already talk a trade deadline in hockey. Oh, it's tough to predict, but you know what? I would actually, I would actually bet that. I mean, top top nine's not. You're not really shooting far down the field to get a top nine. Yeah. So, and and that's the one area I think that there probably is some concern. So, I would actually bet that that the Blues will make a move for a top nine forward before the trade deadline. I think I might bet that too, just because depending on injuries too. But yeah, this team seems matters. to mm-hmm. this team team seems to feel a little bit weaker at that forward depth than what we originally thought going into the year. Like, I mean, I know we talked about Josh Levo played a couple minutes last night. Jake Neighbors, when everything's healthy and sorts out, he may be in the American Hockey League, or if he's still in your lineup, maybe they look to add somebody that can just move Neighbors back down to the American Hockey League. So I would bet this. I think they could... I could definitely see them getting someone that is in a top nine forward that fits perfectly in that third line role. I would bet this one as well, because I think if you look at Doug Armstrong's track record, if there's a hole that needs to be plugged he's going to make a trade for it and i'm not Mm -hmm. saying there's a hole but if they don't figure out the chemistry style deeper into the season you could be looking at kind of what colorado did last year and go out there and get an arturi lekkanen and for what it's worth this upcoming draft year they don't have a second round pick they've got all of their others and then the next two seasons they got all of their draft picks so doug armstrong's got places to uh, wheel and deal with those Mike McKenna, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, we will give you your chance to win Smashing Pumpkins tickets and we'll reveal the uh, pick'em that is going to be selected as the punishment for yours truly. But coming up next, Dan McLaughlin, Cardinals broadcaster, joins us here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, who's been filling in for BK today. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario, as we head now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and get the chance to catch up with Dan McLaughlin. Danny Mack, how are you today, sir? Alex, I've been worried about you today. Uh, the Blues are not going to go 82-0. and yep. So I was just a little concerned about you, but you seem to have your wits about you, so I'm doing well. Dan, you know, I'm, I'm an optimistic type of person, and 81-1 and is just as good as 82-0 and in my opinion. <laughs> it's been a fun start for the Blues, though, hasn't it? It absolutely has. And, and Dan, just let me ask you about that, because I always love uh, chopping it up, talking Blues hockey with you. How optimistic are you for this team this season? 
Well, I'm optimistic about the guy between uh, the pipes. And to me, that's, uh, you know, this is very simplistic in, in my assessment of the Blues. I'm not around the Blues. I was a little bit last year, had a little bit better feel of what was going on. But generally speaking, um, I look at any type of team that goes on a run in postseason play, but certainly if you're going to get there, you better have solid goaltending. And uh, your partner can speak to that. But if if Jordan Bennington is right, mentally, physically, he's healthy, all those things, they're a dangerous team. And I, I really don't care what you have up in front, even if it's just average, um, and it's beyond average for the Blues. But if you had an average team, He's going to win you and steal you some games and get you into the playoffs. And once you're in, anything can happen. So seeing the way that he's played uh, early on is is very, very encouraging for the St. Louis Blues because, as we've seen, you can ride him to a Stanley Cup. He can steal you games. I thought he was great at the end of last year and gave you a chance against the team that eventually won the Stanley Cup, and they almost got there. They almost did. I mean, who knows what happens if they if they beat the Avalanche. Now, it's woulda, coulda, shoulda, but still – uh, if you have that guy solid between the pipes and he's going to be the player that you know he can be and that he believes he can be and he truly believes it, uh, the Blues are a very, very dangerous team this year. I'm 100% bought in with you, Danny Mack, and I'm always looking at Jordan Bennington. Uh, speaking of excitement, Dan, the uh, World Series starts up on Friday, and I don't know if anybody would have expected the Philadelphia Phillies to be at this position, but i got to tell you, Dan, I'm really looking forward to this series for how well Houston plays and for how much that offense is just mashed for Philly throughout the postseason. I was asked before the playoffs you know, what team do you think comes out of each league? And with the National League, I thought it was Atlanta. Obviously, the Phillies got by them. And for the American League, I thought it was Houston. I mean, Houston is a complete club in a lot of ways. And in many ways, too, they're, they're so rested now because they, they're rolling out their starters and they're getting plenty of rest and guys are getting a chance to get away, regroup, and they can set their rotation for these series. And that'll be the case again uh, starting this weekend. But the one thing about baseball in the playoffs, and we've seen it here in St. Louis, we saw it in 06, we saw it in 11, uh, it's, uh, it's very tough to stop a hot club. And right now the Phillies are really hot. And I'm not saying that Houston isn't. Clearly they are. When you sweep the Yankees in four games, that's pretty remarkable. It tells you how good and how deep they are. But uh, the Phillies right now, there's a belief that they can win this thing and they can line up. Nola and Wheeler in whatever direction they want to go, and good pitching will always stop any kind of uh, momentum another team has. And the Houston Astros, they've got very good pitching, don't get me wrong. Verlander's been awesome this year. He's going to win another Cy Young. But you have Aaron Nola, who, uh, when he pitched against the Cardinals, Alex, he had 235 innings in the regular season, I believe, and he had under 30 walks. So, I mean, that that's that's hard to do. I mean, it it hasn't been done since the late 1800s, the kind of season that he put together. And and he's not going to get the Cy Young consideration that I think he should. It'll go to Alcantara. It might go to Max Fried. But uh, he's he's that type of pitcher to where if he goes out there and pitches like he can, he can shut you down. Wheeler can do the same thing. So I, I would think that the Phillies are the underdogs going into the series, but don't count them out, especially the way that Hoskins has been swinging the bat and they have one of the best players in the game and Bryce Harper. So it should be a fun series. 
you know, it's funny how there's so many parallels between with what I did in hockey and baseball. And you talk about a hot team at the right time. I mean, it's the Phillies really aren't that different to me than what the St. Louis Blues accomplished when they won their Stanley Cup. A little bit different circumstances. But, you know, if if you're the Phillies, does it really come down to like they've got two horses in the rotation? Superstars are playing at their top end. But is it really supporting cast? I mean, is that really what it's all about in sports is not just your stars getting it done on the big stage, but all those unsung heroes that can come through and win a championship for a team? Hundred percent, and I think the parallels in, in having done a lot of hockey over the years in my my career, and obviously done a ton of baseball. But the parallel I think that I see is that if if you have a starting pitcher that gets hot, that's like the goaltender that steals you two saves, and those two saves win you the game, right? I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing. Exactly it, what I didn't do a lot of during my career. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's okay, and that's why you're doing radio, because people love you, so it's all good. It all worked out. But, you know, that's that's the parallel that I see, is that, that teams get hot because they ride uh, the hot hand and, and those that are involved most in play. So in this case, you're talking about a goalie in hockey and you're talking about a starting pitcher in baseball. But the supporting cast, absolutely. I mean, you've got to have guys that step up. And I I thought the supporting cast in a limited series against the Cardinals certainly was a difference against St. Louis. Now, they had very good pitching, but you look at what Alec uh, Baum did in in that series and what I think could come down, I still believe this, uh, they're not a good defensive club. They've played fine here in postseason play. They've had a few mishaps, but nothing that's really cost them all that much. Over seven games with the intensity high, that could cost them. They're not a very good defensive team. So that's something to watch out for uh, going forward here in the, the first of the, the best of seven. Uh, we're talking with Cardinals broadcaster Dan McLaughlin here on BK and Ferrario, our Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Dan, speaking of that supporting cast, Tanner and I were having this conversation before the show earlier today, and of course, Albert Pujols heads into retirement with the successful DH that he was this season for the team. When you look at the Wanya Pezes and the Nolan Gormans, like those younger players that can be that supporting cast, do you feel like they can carry that load that was left by Albert Pujols at the DH spot? I do. I think, though, there's going to have to be an adjustment, in particular with Nolan Gorman. One of the things, and and I'm guilty of this, I've got to remind myself how young uh, he is. He's, what, 22 years old and was thrust into playing Major League Baseball. Most guys his age are having fun, you know, on the weekends and going to college and, you know, living their best life, where this guy is trying to grind it out against the, the world's best in what they do. And that's playing Major League Baseball. That's that's really tough to do, and I, I think we're seeing that with Dylan Carlson too. The growth period. I I am curious as to how injured he was and kept quiet to his credit and just tried to grind through playing through injury um, that stretch run. But I, I do think those guys can do it. But there's going to have to be an adjustment for Nolan Gorman, in particular on velocity and velocity that's up in the zone and. Teams figured that out very quickly against him, that they could get him there, they could get him to chase, and he's not going to make a lot of contact. And velocity, generally speaking, across the board with him was an issue, where Yepes, I I thought, made really, really good adjustments uh, throughout the season. And so, to me, he's part of the equation going forward. I would think Nolan Gorman is part of the equation, certainly, going forward. But there's going to be some growing pains with these guys. They're not established veterans or established major league players yet they put up you know sometimes good numbers and great moments but 
at that level, it's about consistency and with a young player, consistency to stay and stay at the major league level. So that's what they're going to have to figure out going forward. You know, Dan, I spent about 20 years chasing the game of hockey. I left home at 16 and finished up when I was 36 36 years old to come back here. And, you know, I'd come back in the summertime. And one of my main connections to the city was always the food in the city. And And this ties into a certain Cardinals player for me, and I think Adam Wainwright. And, you know, some of my places around town, like Pappy's Smokehouse and Grace Meat Plus 3, like, I would always see Waino, like, tied into these different establishments in town. And I I know this is a little bit off the wall, but, like, I'm curious if you can really think of anybody else that's grabbed hold of a city in that way and really embraced it. Because to me, like... You, you would see him all over the place in some in some of these places that are a little bit off the wall. Okay, like Grace Meat Plus 3, like, I know what it is. I think a lot of St. Louisans know what it is. But he's not there doing commercials for it. Was that a unique trait of his personality? It is. I give him so much credit, and you not being far removed from, from playing professional sports, um, you understand the microscope that is under athletes, especially in a town like st louis where the athletes are beloved in anywhere they go uh, someone's got a camera out to take a picture you know someone's got a story to tell about a game that they pitched in or played in or was a goaltender goaltender in um i I give him credit because he's embraced that and not and and it doesn't make it right or wrong in my opinion you know pro athlete what they do um when it's not between the white lines like I, i purposely i don't want to know i mean that that's your business that's your time. That's your time away from uh, being the, the professional athlete that you have to, to be to, to perform at the best level. And I never had to do it, so I can't speak to it. However, I would say this. The, the credit I give to Adam is that he's invested in the community that's given him an awful lot. And he's made a lot of money in this community. And he's made a lot of money off the Cardinals. And I think he understands that. And with that, to an extent, there's a responsibility to try to give back. And to his credit, he's done that. And the guy that I think of even well before Adam Wainwright is, is Ozzie Smith. Mm-hmm. And Ozzie, you know, was traded from San Diego. Whitey had to convince him that, hey, we know you're going from this great weather of San Diego and growing up in the, the West Coast, but you're going to love it in St. Louis. And he arrived in St. Louis, and it was like zero degrees. <laughs> and they had, to, they had to convince him that this is a great place. And once he was here and saw how – you're treated, you know, he, he was like, man, this is, this is, you know, as good as it gets. And I think from especially the hockey perspective of just seeing how many of these guys decide to stay in St. Louis because they're treated so well and their families and their kids are treated with great respect. Um, if you just give this fan base a little, just a modicum of respect and, and saying thank you, you're going to get it back tenfold. And I think Wayno figured that out very quickly and this this community has obviously responded to that and and to others albert being another one i mean for god's sakes albert left and it was so controversial <laughs> and he still had so much going on with his foundation here in st louis you know the fans here are just different it's a great sports town so i think wayno really figured it out embraced it and has taken advantage of it dan always a pleasure to get to talk with you man uh, enjoy the rest of the week and uh, we'll talk to you next week once our guy bk's back All right, buddy. A lot of fun to visit with you guys. Have a great show. There you go. That's Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster, with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Hey, your opportunity to win two tickets to see Smashing Pumpkins with special guest Jane's Addiction next Tuesday night. If you're texter 101 and you can tell us what team 
through what player's jersey did the individual. I'm going to rephrase this for you. What Man, team? That was rough. I know. Take two, take three, take five, possibly. What jersey of a team was thrown on the ice that we discussed on the junk drawer? There you go. I think that was good. Mm-hmm. Texter 101, figure out what the hell I just riddled off for you, and you'll win two tickets to see Smashing Pumpkins. We'll get to that, and we'll give our pick'em punishment reveal next as we hit the rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. On the BK and Ferrario Rewind alongside former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. If you missed your chance at winning the Smashing Pumpkins tickets with special guest Jane's Addiction next Tuesday night, November 1st at Enterprise Center, they're on sale now, but you can get a bonus chance to win free tickets now at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 ESPN app. You can find all of the details at that spot. And as always, if you miss anything from our conversations today, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. Thanks to our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto Center for that support. We talked with Louis DeBrusque, a little bit of a preview between the Blues and Oilers. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford with an update on the Pavel Buchnevich. The news that we found out earlier today of him headed to the injured reserve and the Blues signing Tyler Pitlick to a one-year, one-way contract. You can get all the details on our podcast page a little bit after the show. So as we close things out here, Mike, um, we do our BK and Ferrario pick them weekly where we all pick three games uh, between the college and NFL. And we pick the spreads and whoever loses that week gets a punishment that is voted on by the listeners. And this is my first loss of the season. Um, and the punishments were pushing a football sled, the length of a football field while Kerry Davis of the opening drive former uh, NFL Super Bowl champion, yells at you. Mm. Uh, The other one was reading Fifty Shades of Grey, a page on air, which, again, I think that's a punishment for listeners, not us. These both sound mentally excruciating. They are. Well, we, <laughs> This well, isn't just physical. Some of the other punishments uh, was our... It's, uh, it's a good thing you'd be reading Fifty Shades of Grey rather than... Re- Reenacting. Creating. Well, yeah. um, well no. maybe I don't. Just like anyway, reading, continue, nobody anyway, wants to hear that uh, yeah. one. And the new <laughs> punishment that was on here might be up the alley of Fifty Shades of Grey is getting your chest waxed on air. Mm. So those are the three punishments. The voting has concluded. Tanner Hendrickson has the results. Um, I think I already know where this is going, but hit me with what maybe could be a surprise. All right. Well, I'll just tell you, no surprise coming because coming in third with 12% of the votes was read a page of Fifty Shades of Grey on air. No I think that would have been fun. No surprise there. <laughs> Actually, I hope that, that I get that. That would have been I, awesome. I, think I would have tuned in. Coming in <laughs> You'd have to bring in, out your deep, sultry voice. Oh, I got that covered. Coming in second was... Push a football sled on the football field. It only got 15% and coming in first. 73% of our listeners voted for you getting your chest waxed on air, so we will be doing that sometime soon. You're going to have to contact Steve Carell. From oh. uh, the movie The 40-Year-Old Virgin. I'm going to enjoy this too much. You're going to have mm-hmm. to have your fingers on the dump button because I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth doing that on the air. Um, <laughs> I was really hoping that that wasn't going to happen. But 
Apparently that's hey, what this well, is. He, he should be ready chest for wax and he didn't yell. Th- yes, he did. Oh, he well, did. He didn't, he didn't drop a exple- expletive that I had to dump. Well, you'll yeah, be well, ready for summer. I've had to dump Alex without an expletive. In the winter, you should. This is some deep-rooted hair in my chest too, man. I I don't know. That's gonna feel very. You, you are going to an indoor water park at some point this winter time, correct? I'll just walk around with my shirt off, I guess, for a while, just so I can pr- show off my uh, chest being waxed. But that's what the punishment is. So you're gonna we'll, be um, missing your insulation. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure that out timing of the punishment once BK gets back next week because we'll have to do his also standing on the side of Olive. So that's the punishment. Before we get out of here, uh, Mike, you're a part of the Wounded Warriors team here in St. Louis and I know they got, wanted to give a shout out to the fellas and, and the ladies that are headed up north. Yeah, the St. Louis Blues Warriors. Uh, I go on the ice with them every Tuesday morning in coach tournaments. Unfortunately, this tournament in Detroit this coming weekend, I won't be able to make it to. But we've got three teams going up there to Detroit to compete uh, in USA Hockey sanctioned event for the veterans. And all the veterans that play for the St. Louis Blues Warriors have a 10% or greater disability rating. And we have well over 100 people that have served in our military that play with our teams. Alpha. Bravo, Charlie Delta. We've got four clubs, and it's pretty amazing to skate with these men and women. And I've coached several different tournaments, and at this point, I'm not a coach. They're just they're friends, you know. So <laughs> yeah. it's um, it's an amazing thing if you get a chance to ever be involved or you see Warrior Hockey come into town. Root them on, come out, cheer them on. His, they've done so much for us. It's it's great to be able to give back to them as well. That's fantastic. Well, good luck to them in that tournament up in Detroit. Mike, this was a lot of fun, man. Thanks so much for filling in for our guy, BK. Oh, this didn't feel like a fill-in. This was a <laughs> lot of fun, man. You Love can to see do it again. Mike on Twitter. He's on Daily Faceoff. He's on Series XM NHL. He's everywhere. So check out Mike's work. And, of course, he's a part of our team here on BK and Ferrario. For Tanner, for Mike, I'm Alex. The Fast Lane coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.